0: We really fucked up. Fucked up bad. Tell me something encouraging. I just smoked a buck.
1: I smoked a fork. Oh my god, my first year.
0: Alrighty, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode with us. Man, today's a, a special day. We got a super uh, knowledgeable and intriguing guest. Um, you know, I really want to introduce them, but I'm not going to yet. We're actually going to run through a few things first. Uh, first things first, we got to give a big shout out to Victory Archery, the carbon arrow experts. Um, big shout out to them. You're looking for a new set of set of arrows. Go ahead and grab yourself a set of VAPs. If you ain't shooting VAPs, you're last.
1: And uh, shout out to Tracer USA, the lightest and fast, fastest glassing system on the market. Save a few pounds in your pack and be able to go further.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And then uh, last but not least. Big shout out to Evan over there, Archery Geek Custom Strings. You need a new set of strings on your bow, give him a shout out. You can find him on Instagram. Um, hit us up. We'll get you in contact with him. Whatever you guys want, he'll make it for you. Awesome guy. Use promo code RIDGE15 for 15% off at checkout. And, uh, you know, let's get into this. I, uh, I, I It's hard to <sighs> – real quick, I got a disclaimer. This podcast is, is hard for me, and it's because I'm a little nervous. I am. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, Wayne. <laughs> a little I'm a little nervous. It, it, you know, it, me, Brian and Ryan, we've been doing this. Brian's been with me a handful of times. More than a handful, he's been doing it with me for
1: It's about April. Yeah.
0: So he's got a he's got a handful of podcasts under his belt. Ryan's been with us a few times. I think you've been recording with us for five or six of them.
2: Yeah, we've been on a couple. Yeah. Yeah, he, but what's it, up guys? Ryan. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, he's behind the scene, he helps us out with the editing and whatnot and and uh he kinda pulls it all together and does the publishing for us. It's a lot smoother. it's a big task for me to take probably, it all on. Oh, you
1: will ask it for sure. Yeah,
0: without a doubt. So he's super good. He's techie, knows his shit, right? Yeah, well. But as far as recording, like it was it was kinda like recording with Bill Gaines. You and Bill are you you guys know each other. It that was a nervous podcast for me as well. And it's hard for me to do podcasts and, and keep my shit straight when I'm nervous. So so excuse me if it, it kinda <laughs> stumbling over words, but you know, to me, when I when I get in front of individuals that know their stuff, like uh, it's it's humbling for me, right? So, that being said, Wayne, go ahead, man.
3: All right, my name is Wayne Raup, and I want to thank you guys for having me on the podcast. And uh, just by the way, this is the first podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> so, with your nervousness and my nervousness, hey. We're on the same Uh keel no we'll be all right man (laughs) i'll keep i'll
0: keep it i'll keep it together
3: (laughs) um to give you a little background on on my history um i grew up in colorado first time uh, i ever uh, was involved with hunting i was four years old my dad came to the house and got his double barrel shotgun and he said hey son let's go i'm gonna go shoot a duck yeah so we went went duck hunting when we shot we shot it I believe it was a Spoonie, um, and that was my first, first experience with hunting, and then he took us uh, hunting. I had uh, three brothers. <clears throat> there were seven of us in the family, seven siblings, and it was like two different families. There mm-hmm. were uh, 18 years, difference between the youngest-oldest and the oldest-youngest, right. so um, my <clears throat> two brothers and I basically grew up as a family, and I was the youngest. So they were very athletic, very right. in tune with hunting and stuff. So they made me a competitor in um, just their abilities, me trying to keep yeah. up with them. They made
0: you a competitor by
3: nature. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. And uh, – <clears throat> um, that's actually to a fault today because I'm very, very competitive, and I, I always thank them for it. But Well, I mean, you know, some people <laughs> yeah. say that's a fault, but I, <laughs> I can appreciate it. Yeah. So um, my the oldest of the three of us, um, he got a bow when he was probably 12, and um, I used a slingshot at that age. And um, we went rabbit hunting. We did whatever we wanted to do. Yeah. We, we grew up in a different time. You guys, you guys, it's hard. It's hard to relate to our gr- period of growing up in the '50s Right. compared to what you you guys did when you were growing up. Absolutely. Um, we lived in a rural town, small right. town, Alamosa, Colorado, south south mid state of Colorado, 30 miles from New Mexico state line. Rio Grande River ran right through our town. So, us three boys would take off, and we'd go fishing. We'd go just take off and go, yeah, and dad had had a twenty two he had a shotgun, he had high powered rifles, uh, we'd take the bows, the fishing rods, the twenty twos the yeah. shotguns, and we'd walk half a mile through town. no problem, no problem, yeah, I was eight years old, yeah, next brother was ten. Other brother was 12 and we'd walk through town would go down to the river and we'd do whatever we would want to do whatever yeah. was on the plan of the day <clears throat> and this is the part that is kind of unbelievable how relaxed our mother's mother was right. um in the summertime nice nice weather we didn't have anything else to do mom we're going to go down to the river for a week okay
1: oh like
0: you'd go stay down there
3: yeah like we'd stay time. down there for a week by ourselves yeah because dad took us hunting he took us out camping and all that stuff yeah. so we knew how to survive yeah and uh we'd take our fishing poles or bows whatever we had 22s and we'd go down to the river and we'd spend the week down there we'd take cans of peas and corn and we'd catch fish and and just- live and live gosh man and it's interesting because of course we didn't have television back then and uh mom um would read us a story every night or a few few chapters out of a story out of books and my favorite was always tom sawyer and huck finn and i always thought gosh dang how cool would it be to live life like tom sawyer and huck finn you know being on the mississippi yeah. river and doing all that stuff on a float yeah without a raft they made or exactly whatever, you know. and and i grew up and i'm looking back on it we had the life of oh yeah tom sawyer mm-hmm. and huck finn
0: compared to what we have
3: yeah 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 nobody nobody bothered us it was all private property we were on we'd go down at the river it didn't make any difference everybody knew everybody everybody yeah. took care of everybody we didn't have to worry about people abducting the kids and yeah. you know all the crap that you have that's going on today you know so, you know like
0: um i i mean i don't even know i don't even know if this is like saying it out of place or whatever but you know you said no one abducted kids and stuff and i feel like that probably had something to do with people that did stuff like that got dealt with they did you, you know what i mean yeah, like when did. i say
1: dealt with Everybody. i don't mean like
3: hemmed up like <clears throat> dude, no. they got yeah. dealt with yeah a lot of tractors a lot yeah. of uh digging equipment yeah you know, well, i then, mean you're not gonna go abduct
1: a kid <laughs> when he's walking around with a 12 gauge well that, you
3: that, that too you know but i, I <laughs> not to say that stuff like that
0: probably didn't happen but yeah, I, what yeah. i'm saying is the frequency yeah it was so know. minimal yeah
3: you know it's just like you know the percentile of the bad guy back then of the criminal back then is probably the same percentile it is today only the population it, is yeah. Doubled. totally yeah double. so far so the numbers the percentile is still there but the numbers are much Correct. greater
0: yeah well you know and it goes back to the the old adage of like you know if you if you knew you were going to get burned you wouldn't touch fire exactly and it, back then you knew you you know were you're gonna, gonna you're, get you're gonna get it you yeah. know so i mean that there's well, something to be said about that but uh, exactly you know you you <clears> talked <throat> about tom sawyer and huck finn right and it's like you you always imagined that as you were growing up and you said oh well you lived it well, what I think kids like nowadays, like, I don't think they have an, their imagination's different. You had an imagination. I just got off the phone two days ago with my grandma. Uh, we were talking about my grandpa and that, just, you know, talking about family and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, how COVID is affecting children nowadays. Right. Yeah. And my grandma was like, I don't buy it for shit. She's like, throw them outside. Like kids need to go outside and dig holes and get dirty and, you know, be a kid. Well, Like now kids are stuck on an iPad and their imagination is the internet. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's like for you, you wanted to be Huck Finn on the Mississippi on a raft you made. And that was your imagination where like now kids' imaginations is, I don't know. I mean, young kids, they get on YouTube and they watch other grown people with gloves on play with toys. That's on YouTube. And they they put that in front of kids. So it's like, the imagination isn't there, and that's a big detrimental to society. Give it twenty years, and mark my words.
3: Yes, I agree with you hundred percent, and I agree with your grandmother. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I.
0: It was funny. I was telling my grandma, "I, was like, I grew up poor." You know me, and my, me and my brother. like, "We grew up poor. We're throwing rocks at each other and getting into mischief and swimming." And remember when I told you about Wolfie Land? <laughs> oh yeah, S- same shit. So it's like <laughs> it's it's you know, <laughs> yeah. it, It's the it's that I don't know that upbringing that's just. That's what makes me not scared of COVID. I mean, people could probably mother F me left and right about saying that, but I, you know, my immune system is pretty good. You know, it's not well, it, wood.
3: Yeah. And, and that's the part of it. I've got a little bit of knowledge. I've, I was a corpsman in the Navy. Right. So I went through corps school. I have a bachelor of science degree in biology. <clears throat> so I do know a little bit. Just probably enough to get me in trouble. Right. <laughs> but uh, I do know a little bit, and I, and I do have common sense. Yeah. And what we are being forced to do and how we're exposed to these ideologies that are absolutely crippling our country right now. Um, my reaction to all that is very, very negative. I have a very right. strong opposition to all that crap. Yeah. <clears throat> and when you go, when you walk around, and every building you walk into, every store you walk into, you walk up to the hand sanitizer and you you clean your hands, mm-hmm. and you got your mask on, mm-hmm. and you're <clears throat> you're not exposed right to the bacteria and the virus and the pollens and the dust For, and the dirt mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Your immune system is right actually going down the tube.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. <clears throat> and you 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 said it. Oh, our parents or my mom let me go down to the river. And we lived for a week. Man, you guys were probably the most filthy things in about four days. You know? I mean, think about it. You're, oh, you're yeah. catching fish. You're gutting fish. Oh. You're probably gutting rabbits. And you're not washing your hands. You're
3: just oh. eating right off them. And the, and the really crazy thing about that, the Rio Grande River, as it went through our the town of Alamosa, on the southeast side, was the sewer plant. Mm.
0: You guys are downstream from the sewer plant?
3: A lot of times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it dumped right into the river. That's crazy. And you could... Oh, we man. we I learned how to swim on the Rio Grande River. Yeah. My brothers learned how to swim on the Rio Grande River, and I remember getting in the going into the water and swimming underwater with my eyes open and seeing all these things particles coming. Oh out yeah,
1: out. sewage. Yeah, bottle. I mean, who knows <laughs> what it was? I but mean, yeah, exactly. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, and you're 100 percent fine.
3: 100 percent fine. We never got sick. We no. we were strong. Yeah, kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were dirty. You know. There's something to be said about. You're not the only one that
0: says this. I've been saying this for years. Yeah. You know. And I, I mean, I'm I'm 33 years old. Uh, you would think a 33 year old should probably have a decent immune system. You know, but when when I speak, I'm always drawn to wisdom. I am like, um, my wife will say you're just a talker. Well, you, I like to talk, obviously, right? That's why we have podcasts, right? But <laughs> I'm always drawn to wisdom, and I always like hearing stories and information. From individuals that have lived it or have um, knowledge on it so that's like s- some of where the nervousness comes from like when you like, we were together a couple days ago we're fine They we get you on a podcast we're gonna be recording and I'm like oh I'm shaking right yeah. so it's not really but you know what I mean yeah, sure but I always like hearing from from individuals that have stories wisdom <clears throat> that have grown up in the life that I've imagined right like you said oh Tom Sawyer Huck Finn mm-hmm. I always imagined me and my brothers and our friends, we always wanted to go camp out on, you know, rivers and some of the ponds that we would swim in when we were kids. We wanted to get away. We wanted that um, adventure. We wanted that solitude, that independence. And believe me, we had a lot of it because our parents, they weren't always around working all the time. So we had a lot of independence, but for whatever reason, we always strive for more. You know, it's kind of like they would always say, we give you guys an inch. Like all of our parents, we give you an inch and you want to take a mile. But, and I look back on it now and it's like, man, we had a mile compared to like my other friends. Sure. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> it was wild, but you know, just to hear that you grew up on those, those rivers and it, just the way you grew up. That's awesome. So yeah. cool. You yeah. know? Ain't
2: awesome. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a dream. Like uh, that's what I wanted growing up. Yeah. Like, just, I mean, you don't really have that opportunity to really fish. Like well, You could in SoCal. I grew up in SoCal. So, I mean, you have to seek that stuff out. Yeah, you got to locally. I Resort mean, or have, or have family that really grows up doing that stuff. Yeah, and tradition. Yeah, um, but I lived in Colorado too for a year and a Oh, really? Yeah. Where? Uh, in, De- in Littleton. Littleton. South all right. of Denver.
3: Yeah, my sister uh, lived, or our family lived there for quite a while.
0: Yeah, man, It's a beautiful state. Yeah. When, uh, when, your old man went and you guys and you guys busted, busted that spoony, were you hooked? Were you? I like, thought it was the
3: coolest thing in the world. And I was only five years old, right? Pro- probably five, maybe four. But we moved to the ranch when I was four, so I was probably five years old. And I think it was the coolest thing in the world, right? Yeah. This and was right. all. Was
0: this prior to like license, licenses and tags and stuff?
3: You know, I'll probably. I know there were there were licenses that you had to get, right? But regulation I'd, was probably yeah, not, but. We were on this huge ranch, yeah, um, in Alamosa County that bordered this the Great Sand Dunes National Monument. It butted right up to it, and it was a huge working cattle ranch. Um, I have no idea if my dad had it. Yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah,
0: I mean you were so young. Was yeah. it was it super game rich?
3: Not, not really in that area. There was a lot of deer there, but primarily. Um, they weren't, they weren't hunted. Right. Uh, we always went to the mountains because the mountains were right there too. Right. And, um, that's where we'd always go hunting and fishing is in the mountains, either on the east side of the valley, the Sangre de Cristo range. I'll get that out. Or the Western mountain range. Um, so it was, you know, they didn't hunt on the property, Right. but there were a lot of ponds, a lot of streams and stuff going across the property.
0: So, generally speaking, you're yeah. outdoors all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just didn't even know it would yeah. be classified as being inside.
3: Yeah. We, so, my two brothers and I, we did, we spent very little time in the house during the day unless it was cold out.
0: That's like the worst punishment you get in trouble. You're you getting it. in your room. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't be outside. You know, that was like, that was with us, man. Yeah. We get in trouble, we get yeah. grounded or whatever. That was like the worst. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, we didn't get
3: grounded. We just got whacked
0: well and this is the thing like it was it at a certain point When me and my brother got to a certain age like my mom would hit us You know with a spoon or whatever, you know, like wooden spoon or or beat us with a belt It didn't you know, you you start to become there's that transition phase when you're a kid and then you start to transition into a a young man and Somewhere in that transition like pain is no longer what it was so then then my mom had to like change it up now you're grounded and that was like worse than getting hit. You know what I mean? A restriction. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. that that was like that was worse. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
3: We had no idea what restriction was. Yeah. It was handled handled immediately. Yeah. Done. Deal. Whatever severity. Yeah, what, <laughs> whatever, whatever sever- <laughs> pegged the needle pegged out on. <laughs> it was done. Oh, that's yeah. good stuff. Yeah.
0: So uh listen, for the listeners, I know we kind of just started talking randomly but for the listeners um you know you were president you're former president of cbh correct you know you want to maybe discuss a little bit of that talk about that how you got involved in cbh and
3: that kind of stuff um when i left colorado um i was 21 years old and the reason i left was because of the navy Mm -hmm. the army sent me a an invitation to go to vietnam and walk through the jungle and I had a friend whose dad was in the Navy, and he said, Wayne, you don't want to do that. Right. Go join the Navy. So I joined the Navy, <clears throat> and that was during the draft. Yeah. So that was the invitation. Uh, so I went to, San, went to San Diego, went through boot camp there, mm-hmm. spent four and a half years in the military. Um, as I said, I was a corpsman and was over in Vietnam. Right. Off the coast on a destroyer USS uh, Rupertus DD-851. And um, I was one of two corpsmen on that ship. Right. So, finished out my tour with with the Navy. Got out worked to work with uh, at the VA hospital as a pharmacy technician. And then started my education process through <clears throat> at the community college, Claremont Mesa okay. Community College. And from the time I moved to California until that time, I really didn't hunt Because San Diego had nothing to offer. There was nothing in San Diego County to hunt, my perspective. Right, what you thought. Which was exactly, totally opposite of what what the facts really are. Right. So, um, when I was 16, I bought a Damon Howitt Hunter recurve. And that was the most modern bow I had, and I loved it. Um, Do you still have it? No, it burned up in the San Diego County ah, wildfires. In 03? In 03. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yep. That's a bummer. We lost oh, everything damn. except uh, got most of my guns out, most of my bows, um, my caribou mount, um, and just about everything else yeah, is exactly. gone. Yeah. I had, I had a full-body brown bear or black bear mount. Ooh. Um and a lot of that Pacific hybrid that I told you was a basket yeah. three, three by three that didn't make book. It yeah. burned mm. goats from Catalina or Catalina Island yeah. sheep from Santa Cruz. Tons. So Memories. So your whole yeah. home. So it's all gone. Did yeah. your whole home go up in the yep. fire? was that? Yep. What happened? Oh man. Yeah. So, um, got out of the, got out of the Navy, got my bachelor of education, bachelor of science education done. And, um, Thought, you know what? I've always heard about compound bows, and I'm gonna go down to the bow shop and see what I can find. So mm-hmm. uh Wiser Sporting Goods was in National City at the time. Jim Velasquez I don't know if that name rings the bell to oh, you. Yeah,
1: I think he just retired from the bow and arrow shop. Did he it he's retired now? Yeah, Got. Yep. Yeah. He's yeah, I just seen him at the range the other day.
3: Did you? Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever met the guy. I've heard Jim, the name. Jim Velasquez, yeah, he has you need to have him on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, if he listens to this, his invitation's okay. out there. Okay. Get him on, for sure. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. I mean, I, I like getting everybody on, yeah. you know? It's awesome. Okay. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy uh, owned uh, Sagittarius Bow Quivers. Okay. And uh, the quiver had a big Sagitt- white Sagittarius. I had a big white sticker on it. Is that him? That's him. Yep. Hey, turn that light on, by the way. Right there, just flip that switch. Um,
0: so the quiver had the...
3: Had a big white sticker on it with... Uh, Sagittarius on it okay that was his company okay and that was back in the 80s okay and uh so anyway he worked at Wiser Sporting Good prior to that he was the manager and Bobby Fromm who mm-hmm. you guys know Bob Fromm yeah um he worked for Jimmy and I went into the shop and I bought my first compound bow from Bob and Jimmy okay whoa Performance, you know, performance yeah. now. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. So, and and Bob and I've got a really good history. J- Jimmy and I have a great history. I, I pulled some shenanigans on on uh, Jimmy one time. It was just. <laughs> He wants to choke me every time I bring it up. Oh, <laughs> bring it up! Well, I mean, listen—you bring yeah. it up is going
0: to go yeah. to a few thousand people, man, <laughs> right off the bat.
3: In about four hours,
0: it'll yeah. be out there. <laughs>
3: so, <laughs> um, so anyway, I I wanted to get a compound bow, so I went down to the shop and and they got me hooked up on a Martin uh, Cougar, I believe it was at the time, and um, did some. Shooting with it, and I well, I asked them about bow clubs. I yeah. wanted to join a, a bow archery club in the in the town, and they told me about Bear State mm-hmm. Archers. And uh, they told me they were going to have a meeting, and where and when, so I could come down and go to the meeting. So I did that, um, and that turned into a long life, a long a lifelong love for. Um, organized archery and um, about a year or so after I had joined Bear State um, Fred Pascarella who was the legislative representative for the club told me that he was going to go move on to the region legislative rep and he said he needed me to, he needed somebody to step in behind him okay <clears throat> and he said you'd make a good rep you know how good salesmen are yeah oh yeah of course (laughs) yeah so anyway i did that and then he he moved from the legislative rep for the region to the legislative cbh legislative coordinator for the state right so he needs somebody to fill his region position right so i filled that position of course and then (laughs) and then it just went on from there yeah um eventually um in 1994, um, the president, current president's term, two terms are up. You can only, at that time, you could only serve two terms.
0: <clears throat> what were the year's terms? Like Not, term year. Like what? how many years was that per term? Two. Two, so you get yeah. four years. Okay. Yeah.
3: So, um, in March of 94, um, I became the president of California Bowman Hunters and State Archery Association. Right. So ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, and ninety seven. And in, in March of ninety eight, a new president took over. I was working at the time, um, so I was really split between work and and the organization. And right. I, you know, during it's always tough doing everything the way you should or as yeah. efficiently as you should when you have things pulling you different directions. Right, right. So. <clears throat> Um i kind of right when I stopped being the president, I went right back to the regional leg representative- representative uh position for um southern border okay. now the state has twelve different regions in it uh southern border being the obviously the one on the border the right. south
0: and it so, goes it goes north to like orange county and then out Basically to Blythe, right?
3: Riverside to Orange County. Yeah, okay. I mean, Riverside to Blythe, you're right. Yeah. To the state line. Yeah. So, I uh, started doing that again, and um, that's why I, I'm i very familiar with things that happened in the legislative arena with uh, CBH and the state um, game laws and stuff. Right. Um, so... Then we had, we had a president that was in and some of the, some of our staff was having trouble with them and they told me, hey, Wayne, if you don't become president again, we're going to quit.
0: Oh really? Mm-hmm. It was like blunt like that. Yeah. Wow. wow. For an organization yeah. to come out like that, man, you, you must have had some respect in that. Yeah.
3: So that's okay. I'll do it. so
0: as you had already served two terms correct so then how'd that happen they were like ah we got to make some changes
3: well what's interesting is um somewhere along the line our um, bylaws were changed and i have no idea when or how i it it was after i was president but okay so there's no limit on number of terms that you can serve now and i think part of that is because just like you guys and bill and or we're talking with bill gaines how difficult is it to get 10 people to go to a yeah to a hearing that's affecting hundreds our, of thousands right. of people's our entire com-
0: yeah our entire hunting community yeah.
3: so um i think it was changed because the difficulty in getting people to step up okay so anyway i was so i became president again and i ran i was the president of california beaumont hunters for another six years. Oh, wow. And just two years ago, um, is when finally we got somebody else to step up. And so, every two years I'd say, you know, in my president's messages and stuff, okay, you guys, I'm going to be bowing out here. I right. need somebody to step up and nothing and nothing, nothing, nothing. Really? So, yeah.
0: Now was that just basically, you know, like you said earlier, it's hard to juggle two things. You got a full-time job, pays your bills, family, take care of, and then to take on an, a you know, a whole nother, essentially, job. I mean, as a president, I would assume you're probably responsible for quite a bit. I mean, you got to be in the know of everything that's going on, you know? Yep. Things like that in the chapter. Yep. So, to get someone to step up, how did that, I mean, who ended up stepping up?
3: Chris Bowles stepped up, finally, from Oranko uh, Bowman. Okay. Over in Chino. Um, he stepped up and... He took the reins,
0: right now. Would CBH, would would you guys have been open to taking anyone that had the qualifications? It was like, hey, I just need someone to step up, or would there have been like some sort of vetting process? You know what I mean? Like you got to be part of the club.
3: Your region is supposed to sponsor you. Okay. So, um, Tom Jones out of, you know, wherever who knew nothing about yeah archery. No he go. wouldn't have been picked up right he wouldn't have been his hat wouldn't have been tossed in the ring right in the ring so um, Chris Bowles is knowledgeable. he's been around a long time right uh, not as long as I have, but because um, i I joined CBH uh, in seventy nine so and I've been a member ever since yeah, but <clears throat> so anyway, um, throughout. Throughout the second three terms that I, I was president, I was very active, probably more so in, in the hunting aspect of it, because uh, Pro- that's where my passion really is.
0: And that, and that was uh, more so on your, than your first two terms, correct?
3: Uh, my first two terms was really that also. But because I was being pulled by life and family and work and everything, I, I couldn't have couldn't give it my all. Right. So it was, yeah. It's pretty much where I didn't have the time to do it. Right. So I found it really a burden. Even even writing a president's message back in the first two terms was tough for me. Was it? Yeah. And then my the last six years, writing my president's message took me a long time to do, mm-hmm. but. It was so much more simple. Right. I was able to do it um, to start my president's message and think about it and put the content into it, get it on on the screen of the computer, get it uh, corrected, Mm -hmm. and then read back through it and get it make it where it flowed, make it where people can understand it and see where I was going with my thoughts and all that. Yeah. That was an eight hour process. That's
0: very hard. Yeah.
2: is that a weekly message or is that it a, a monthly, monthly message? Yeah. It,
0: it's uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's that gotta be hard because, uh, just like conveying what you want through regular, like standing in front of you, like speaking English to somebody, right. That's kind of hard sometimes. Yeah. So to sit there and actually write it out on a message
3: monthly. Yeah. It was tough. It's gotta it was be tough. That'd and, be hard for me, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. Um, when Chris Bowles took over, he told my wife, Lori, who is the editor of the California Bowman Understate State Association magazine, monthly magazine, uh, he told her, my gosh, this president's message is killing me. Oh, Because, <laughs> you know, he wasn't used to writing it. Right, right. So you have to think about what you're going to write, what subjects you're going to bring up, and what right. you're going to be doing. And, and, and then... Make it applicable to what's happening, or yeah, you know, yeah. or I to the that, audience, yeah,
0: yeah, do you think, uh well, I mean, this probably goes without saying you probably well, hold on, let me back up, is it it's all voluntary, that a voluntary position, so you you do this free of charge correct for the for the love of archery and the love of the community. Mm-hmm. Like you do that and then you take on all this extra tasks on your own yeah it could become a burden and for you to do it for 10 years wow that's an accomplishment yeah that being said as the president or even just being involved with cbh in general and as you market yourself or i don't even know if that's the right words but as you like uh grow the individuals know who you are in your chapter or the community or the meetings right um did certain benefits come with that? I mean you had to have met really cool people, man. They were like, uh, oh come hunt or, or whatever,
3: you know what I mean? Like I met some awesome awesome people. I really have. Yeah. Um, probably the ones that really were the fathers of archery, I, I wasn't able to meet. Right. Um, Pope and Young, I wasn't able to meet them. Um you know, other Fred Bear. I never met Fred Bear. I didn't. I didn't meet these, these monarchs out there. Right. But the people I did meet were really, absolutely awesome people. Right. Um. Steve Trigliotto.
0: Yeah, Trig. Trig. He's been on here a handful of times. Yeah. Cool guy.
3: He's a and very knowledgeable. He took yeah. over from his position in San Diego County Wildlife. Uh, commissioner, he took over from Mike Podorff. Yeah, and Mike Podorff um, and Bob Fusco were absolutely movers and shakers in San Diego County during the Mountain Line issue and right and all of that. Um, matter of fact, you and I were talking the other day, and I was going to mention this to you then, but I I, I failed to get it done. Um, Mike Podorff um, allocated the money the commission allocated the money to purchase 19 collars for mountain lions to put on mountain lions on camp pendleton
0: okay 19
3: 19 now camp pendleton is about 100 square miles it's about 10 miles square
0: the funny part about that is i've heard some bs that you know come comes through uh the state or
3: one mountain line for every
0: hundred square miles yeah
3: yes fishing games still as far as i know they haven't updated their their population where there's one mountain line per hundred square miles there, there's no way
1: maybe when they were getting hunted not that even not even not even then, not even then. Yeah. So, yeah so we have like three different <coughs> lines in one spot
0: you gotta talk closer to that thing we,
3: we have like three different lines in one yeah, yeah. i got yeah, three oh, yeah. at least There, there, man yeah So, they wanted to do this study because it was 100 square miles.
0: It was GPS collars.
3: With GPS collars.
0: Oh, man. I want to hear it. Let's hear it.
3: So, (laughs) in the first week, they caught 10 mountain lions. They trapped 10 mountain lions, put collars on. Second week, they caught several more, put collars on. Within a month, they ran out of collars.
0: They were catching cats and couldn't collar them. So, they caught
3: more than nineteen different cats. On Pelham,
0: Or on, on, on Pendleton.
3: Pendleton. Now about five years ago, and this is this is where Chuck Chuck Bonham and I Chuck is the director of fish and game. So he's above he's above the commission. He's appointed by the governor. Right. So at one of our functions Chuck Bonner was there and uh, I told him of an incident that happened here in San Diego. Um, And I said, why are your wardens so misinformed? And he kind of looked at me, what are you talking about? And I said, well, we just had a mountain lion killed on one of the surface streets in 4S Ranch, which is part, it's still San Diego, but it's, Kind of where Rancho Bernardo is. Correct, back the, into that. On the west, on oh, the north. west side. Yep. Yeah. So the mountain lion was killed on the surface street there. So nobody could touch it. They had to call fish and game in. So a warden came in. The media was there, and the news cameras were there. Everybody was all excited about this mountain lion having been killed uh, in in the community. So. The media interviewed the warden, and the warden's words were, this is highly unusual because there are no mountain lions west of the 15 corridor. That, that To me, that out. <clears throat> now, this was five years ago. Yeah, that's about, ridiculous. Well, probably eight years ago.
0: You had more, and I don't even want to say— there was more then than there is now because there's still a ton. You got Black Mountain right there. You got all those drainages that run into I, La Costa all wet. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're loaded in there. Absolutely. Why would why
3: would a warden say such a naive thing? That's exactly what I asked Chuck Bonham. And he said, well, I think we'll have to, we'll have to work this out, figure this out. We're going to have to get our wardens up to speed. And I said, Chuck, when are you going to change... Your population count from 100 mountain lions per square mile or per hundred miles. When is when are your when is Department of Fish and Game going to update that? Because we know that's not correct. Yeah. And he said, "Well, I think that's something we need to do." Two years later, I asked him how the how the project was coming on updating. Yeah. The mountain lion population. He said, "What what mountain lion?" Yeah. What project? Yeah. Yeah, Never happened. That's, and you're like, oh, you know, the one, (laughs) the the, the, the uh, one we talked about two years
0: ago when (laughs) we had that conversation, bud, you know, I think it was Bill Gaines when uh, we had Steve, because Steve Trigliato was on the Bill Gaines. Right. When we did Bill Gaines. And I want to say it was Bill Gaines that he said this, uh, the fishing game hired a biologist from Montana, a mountain lion biologist from Montana or Wyoming. To come in and and like do an active study to see where we're at right and I don't know like what one biologist is gonna do for the state of California but I know that they hold off I want to say talk was had because or in the Southern California region a population being over controlled or whatever and they wanted to limit I don't know I feel like I'm making a jackass out of myself but some one way or another a lot of mountain lions get hit off the eight Right, and a lot of cats die off the eight by cars, and there was some sort of talk in regards to deprivation permits or controlling mountain lions, like the population down here. But they were saying that they want to keep it a protected species in this area, or generally speaking, because so many get hit to hit by vehicles. Right? I don't. I, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I want to say this is. What I actually heard through that podcast, but uh, th- I just don't understand Why fishing game and mind you they don't make the loss Right. They don't make the laws, but I don't understand why they don't recommend to the commission to put this Forefront and I understand that it was a legislative law for You know big cat like you can't you, you can't hunt mountain lions anymore That was the people that voted that in right but they also could recommend certain aspects like, yeah, the public may not be able to control the population of cats, but they could fish and game can take more cats out of the population just based on population alone. Right? Like that's not illegal for fish and game to take cats out. They hire trappers to do it all the time. Right? I mean, so they're still pulling cats out of the population yearly, but to the California people that's okay, but it's not okay. To the California people for hunters to do it, to pay to do it. They'd rather see an agency pay a company or individuals to go and do it. To me it makes no sense. It
3: absolutely makes no sense. Makes no sense. You think now, that's because they wouldn't hear about it as much? I don't know. With an agency doing it than the public? Well, if the public's doing it, I mean how many people know how many deer are being taken? I mean
1: Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram,
3: Yeah, but the population in, in Los Angeles, Sacramento and in San Francisco and even San Diego. Yeah. They don't know how many deer are taken. They they yeah. you know it's so it as as a hunter it's pretty much kind of kept down low. Right. Uh and, you know with Facebook and stuff, you know we do post stuff on Facebook, so now it's more more known, but still how many of those people are friends with Hunters, yeah. right? You know, most of them don't even associate with them mm-hmm. because you know they don't even know they have no knowledge of what reality is out here with the wildlife. Right? You know, all they know is the concrete jungle. Yeah.
0: What's in the zoo? <laughs>
3: yeah. It's- but interesting uh, thing you touched on, Brandon. Um, the number of it, or the animals that mountain lions that are taken by fishing game. Yeah. When we were hunting. When the hunters had the right to hunt mountain lions in the 70s, we were killing 140 mountain lions a year. Wow. Well, 140, 140, and now, well, I don't know what the the number is right now, mm-hmm. but let's say two years ago, yeah, they were taking upwards to 300 mountain lions a year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can I can believe it,
3: and that's not counting the depredation permits,
0: right. I mean, population explodes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know what a, uh, I mean, mountain lion cubs probably have predation. You know, I mean, they they probably get snapped up by any opportunistic predator out there, coyotes and bears, if they get an opportunity for sure. But other than other than that, I don't think there's any. They're like top of the food chain. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think a bear is going to jump on a full grown tom. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, so I mean, as as the landscape. And pray, provide, they're going to explode. It's like one of these deer areas I was at this weekend. You know, I saw four deer, four does, right? I saw seven coyotes. Midday.
3: Incredible, isn't
0: it? Midday. So for me, like, I feel like just seeing what I see with my own eyes, and I haven't been hunting that long. I just haven't. It wasn't in my cards. But, and I haven't been hunting long enough to see like a dramatic change. But individuals like yourself and Steve Trigoliato and the older guys that I hunt with, they have seen it change and they've seen deer populations crash. And then, you know, fishing game say you know, it's below objective, but as a statewide, the herd's doing good. I don't buy that for half a second. I, I just don't. I don't buy it. I mean, I know you can go to like areas that hold more deer than others. And if you were to look at San Diego as a, as an ecosystem in a whole, not like a part of the big picture, California. But you say like San Diego County, if that was a a mini ecosystem, you go, yeah, there are deer in San Diego County and there are, depending on where you go, there's a lot of deer, but that's in those specific areas. So like if you were to generally speak and say, oh yeah, the herd is doing great in San Diego, you know, yeah, maybe in these areas, but when they say a herd, they give an objective number of, say they say, oh, there's 15,000 deer in San Diego County right it wouldn't matter if all 15,000 of those deer on private or like small parcels of land in San Diego County like in Julian correct it it doesn't matter that they're all there they go the herds doing good right but i don't i don't i don't look at it that way as a hunter i don't look at it that way i, I think like a healthy herd would show that they're the species is everywhere in that region like obviously there's going to be areas of that region that aren't going to hold deer. I mean, habitat, water, food. I get that. I do get it. But I also don't like how, if you were to look and they say, oh yeah, the herd's doing fine, but it's really not. You're just looking at sparse areas. I've said it before on many podcasts before. Where are you counting these deer? Yeah, exactly. Like, where do you count them? In an apple Mm -hmm. orchard? You know, and believe me at night, (laughs) how many of those deer are getting hemmed up by lions Mm -hmm. or even in midday, whatever. It, It doesn't matter. Like they're, they're getting, preyed on. So it's like there's just a I don't know.
3: It's, it's tough for me. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely correct. Um, back on the 2003 San Diego County wildfires, when my house burned down. We had a meeting with um, one of our hunting groups and to the meeting came a game warden. And I don't remember which game warden it was. But I asked him specifically, what the deer, the damage to the deer population was with this fire. Because this fire moved from Coimaca State Park to my house, which, as the crow flies, is 50 miles. Mm -hmm. And it it started in the evening on Saturday. My house burned down right after dusk on Sunday.
0: Yeah, 24 hours. Jesus. Dang. It moved 50 miles. in 50 miles.
3: And it was from... All the way from El Cajon, all the way up to Rancho Bernardo, to Rancho Penisquitas area, the, that whole area.
0: That thing moved at the pace you could walk. Yeah. Through the mountains yep. and canyons.
3: Yep, it absolutely did. Um, <clears throat> my, wife was, my wife, Lori, was really concerned about the fire coming down to our house um, just before dark. Because the sheriff came through up on the road, on La Cresta Road, and was on the bullhorn and said, you have to evacuate, mandatory evacuation. So we started to pack things up in our car. We had no idea the fire was even in the area. We were watching Rancho Penasquitas burn on television. Right. That's where all the media was. It wasn't in Harbison Canyon. It wasn't in Alpine.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because in 03, I was living across the street from North County Fair. Which is Escondido oh, yeah. Yeah. and that whole San Fli- or uh, San Pasqual riverbed, yeah. the, the, the drainage burned. Right. It, it blew through, and I remember that. Yeah, that, yep. and then that was one Ranch Penisquitas and all of that all burned down. Rancho Bernardo, right? Yeah, so I could see how that was. Yeah, yeah.
3: so I was when they the the newscaster uh, said, "Okay, we're going to give the road closures in San Diego County," and he named Interstate Eight. I went, "What?" I had no idea the fire was anywhere near us. Right. And it jumped the road at Harbison Canyon just and at Alpine. And uh, so when the sheriff came through and said mandatory evacuation, we started kind of packing up. And Lori was really concerned about the fire. And I told her, don't have to worry. We lived on the side of the hill. And there was about a half a mile of the hill above us. I
1: said, mm-hmm. you
3: don't have to worry. We'll pack up. When we see flames coming over the top of the hill, We'll, we'll get out of here. Right. And all we saw was black smoke. We couldn't see any flames. And I'm in the house getting some stuff. She's getting some stuff. And she started screaming when I was putting my um, elk mount out on the lawn. She started screaming at me and said, I see fire. I see fire. And I said, relax, relax. It doesn't move downhill quickly. That's the stupidest thing I could ever say. That fire was jumping in front of itself 100, and 100 to 200 yards at a time.
0: Oh, was it? Yes. And you watched it with your eyes. You know what Bill Bill Simmons, he was a uh, he's a fireman. He was on here saying that too. He was yep. fire walks, man. Yep. He's like it's just 1 foot in front of another. It's weird.
3: And it came down that hill. It made a quarter of a mile in probably less than 4 minutes. Ah, wow. downhill.
0: So you guys were there's flames. Get in the car. We gotta go. Yeah. Wow.
2: And obviously the the wind's moving towards you, so you you get the smoke the whole time. Right. Are you just it engulfed? wasn't
3: it, it wasn't that smoky where we were because we were down low in the canyon, so the heat so was passing over you was causing the air to move up, mm-hmm. yeah. but the wind was in fact blowing embers and stuff way in front of itself. So. Yeah. So Gosh. It, so yeah, that was pretty devastating. But anyway, back to the warden, I asked him what the deer population suffered. And he said there was no really no issue on the deer population because they could move, you know, they moved to safety. And I'm you know, in my mind my head's exploding. Mm-hmm. How how does a deer move fifty miles? Yeah. Into a safe place? Yeah. They can't do it. I mean sooner or later they've got to stop. Well, and re- when the when the fire is 50 miles long and 50 miles wide come on yeah. Yeah. Where are you gonna go
0: wait yeah where are you gonna go
3: yeah so you know I, I don't know if that's had a lasting effect on the deer population but it certainly didn't help it
0: i want to say steve trigoliato was saying that you know years after that fire the hunting was incredible
3: it was in some areas because it had all of that, that new growth the new growth is what yeah. yeah that's where all the nutrients are this old Old growth—that's your chaparral—that's eight to twelve feet high, fifteen feet high. Mm-hmm. There's no nutrient in that.
0: No, not. They can't eat it.
3: Yeah, they. Yeah, there's nothing there for them. Yeah. So when it burns, then that new growth pops up. See, but the problem with that—that that fire was a Holocaust fire. Right. So it didn't just burn the stuff above the ground. It burned the root balls and everything. Mm-hmm. Sterilized. Them. That yeah, sterilized the ground basically. So yeah. all it grew back Scoring. were weeds. Yeah.
0: Which, which then chaparral comes back, you yeah. know, shrub oak. Yeah. It's nasty. Yeah. It, it's wild how that happens. I mean, that's a whole, that's a subject that I guess we could touch on. Um, we probably should. What do you think the state of California should do about
3: it? Back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, California had had a management plan where they would come in and they would burn areas to control burns and then they stopped doing it. When I was president the first time in the 90s we approached fish and wildlife fish and game at the time. Now it's politically correct to call it fish and wildlife, but anyway. Right. Um Fish and game told us that no, they didn't want to, or they couldn't do it because it was too expensive. Um, So no matter how many times we asked them, and we asked them often to come in and clear, do some controlled burns, do it so it doesn't have a holocaust effect on everything above and below ground, and they have just refused to do it.
0: See, I, I feel like if they were to adopt that plan now, like, okay, let's fire this off. Let's do some control burns. Control burns are are manageable fires. I do not think you could have a controlled burn on the north side of Palomar Mountain if you tried. No, you couldn't. The, it's so thick. You light that off. It, I, I mean, I would like to say you could, you know, and I, when you were here, I was like, man, I don't understand why they just don't put a couple D10s up there and doze a half mile in either direction and let the middle of it burn, right? But that in a sense causes a Holocaust fire right there because it is so, sit, so thick. So that controlled burn is essentially a controlled Holocaust fire because it's going to burn so hot. Right. It will. It's, and then gener, like it's going to generate its own weather. It, I mean, it'll get, it'll, you know, it's going to be that hot. It'll start to change the, it'll start to change the way the weather is around it, you know, and then you start getting out of control. And, right. Yeah, I so. mean, the idea of it is great. I just feel as if at this point, you know, when a fire starts, they just need to let them burn and um, just, you know, p- protect property. Quit trying to put fires out. Just go protect properties. Right. That's and, what they should do.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know. And, you know, another another thing they could do, um, you know, a lot of the goat farmers, they rent their goats out for brush and yeah. chaparral control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, oh. if you put a thousand goats in an acre.
0: Oh, it's gone quick.
3: It's gone quick.
0: Yeah. Move With them the around.
3: Yep, move Move them. the pen.
0: Some tall-ass they, goats. Yeah, well, check this out. So, I mean, I don't know how good that would do on all that chaparral when it's 15 foot thick. I mean, I don't— they stand up and push it down. Yeah, they, I mean, they can get on it and start eating around. But that—like in Utah, this year, there were tons of sheep in the high country. Mm-hmm. There's tons. And there's tons of cattle in the mid-country. Yeah. Like, they don't have that. You don't have that on public land out here on Palomar. Mm-mm. There's no grazing. They don't graze. And, I mean— you hear a lot of, like, uh, pushback on grazing in, in a lot of the Western states, you know, from, you know, uh, I don't even know the organizations that are doing it, to be honest. I don't really want to speak on it, but you hear about it. You know, there's something to be said about grazing, though. The hooves, you know, uh, till the soil. Like, you put a bunch of cows out there, they are moving around, eating all the shit. Rip it all up. Yeah, and their hooves are heavy animals. They disturb the soil, which generates new growth. You know, it allows different aspects to get back into the soil. You know, it, it, it's good. In a sense, right now, when you overgraze, obviously that's not necessarily good, especially for the, the species involved or that live there that are yeah. native species. But there's definitely some good that comes out of grazing and it wouldn't be a bad idea for, you know, the state of California or whoever to uh throw a few thousand sheep in some areas in San Diego or, or statewide, you know, and just let them do it. Goats, they uh, probably all goats. get
1: smoked by lions. Yeah, go
0: to the ones that'll do it. The sheep, yeah, not so much. Yeah, they're more sheep, grazers. Yeah, they're grazers, but the goats will eat anything. They'll eat anything. I mean, they'll eat eat a strap off your backpack. You let them. Yep, absolutely. You know, but that that's definitely not a bad idea. I don't even know if that's been brought up, but I would imagine that you know it makes sense, so they wouldn't do it. Yeah, you absolutely. And, <laughs> you think and I had,
3: even yeah. I even think we approached them with the goat issue. Yeah, I I don't know. That's it's for, it's interesting. You know, the thing is. Every department, I worked for the Department of Corrections for 28 years. Yeah. That department, just like the Department of Fish and Game slash Fish and Wildlife, they're all under control of the governor. Mm -hmm. So if the governor has an idea, let's do this. Well, okay, we'll do it. If a citizen has an idea and presents it, well, we don't know if that'll work well what it is is the is the governor is he like minded is he going to tell that department yes you we need to do this right just like right now with with these big fires that have just happened that california has experienced yeah you know they blame it on climate control it's not climate control it's forest management yeah it's forest management for sure and when you when you go into an area and you You do control burns in areas that you can control and it doesn't get out of hand and and turn into a holocaust fire or if you go in with goats or you're going with dozers whatever you do go in and trim all the underbrush out put it in pile and burn them during the winter when it's wet Mm -hmm. get the get the undergrowth out up to 10 feet high on those trees and stuff yeah then you're not going to have the fires but
0: and if you did, it would just rip through on the forest floor exactly. in and out, yeah, real quick. Yep, quick, not crazy hot. Yep, you know.
3: And that's where your grass and that's where your food is. Yeah, for the wildlife, it's See, on the forest floor.
0: It's crazy to me to think like what we could have, because you always hear like California used to be. You know, someone would probably still say, "Oh, it's you know the best state in the union." You know, as far as like, I mean, landscape wise, it's beautiful here. Yeah, you can't it's beat amazing. what California has, right? But the problem is, is like for us as outdoor enthusiasts right yep. hunters and fishermen it it seems to me that it's on a decline like the habitat that we're able to hunt is declining which then takes our species and rolls them downhill as well so it's like by not managing our lands correctly it's only hurting us right you Correct. know and that and I just don't it doesn't sit well with me you yeah know? it's
3: it's tough to tough to swallow. Because you can see things that can be done, yeah. but they, they're not being done. Another thing that would, would help our big forests up north is let's go back to logging.
0: I was just going to say that. I, so yeah. I, I went out to Borrego today. I had to do some work out there, and I was driving up the 76 all the way out up through Palomar, through the Hoya Indian Reservation. That drainage, right, where the river is, mm-hmm. I think the beetle got into those oaks. That oak beetle, there's a ton of them that are dead, noticeably dead. And I haven't been hunting up that area for two years. And I don't remember it being like that. And I don't know how long these beetles take to kill oak trees or what, but I can tell you right now that I've seen more dead oaks there than I ever have. And they're like dead. Really? Gray, they're gray.
2: The whole landscape is gray in certain parts of that area. Yeah,
0: and I think it's the beetle. And it's like that right there is a tinderbox you get one hot summer of a dead tree that next summer, that thing's ready to go. You know, put that dead tree in a hundred plus degree heat for a hundred days. Right. And that thing's ready to go up. And I feel like there should seriously be some, you know, logging going on. You know, if you can't use it, that's fine. Go turn it into Traeger pellets. I ran out. I'll go buy some, right. Like turn them into pellets. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say, but they, if they're trying to prevent forest fires the you know the state and the and the organizations here that are in charge of that need to seriously get on that like that's not good
1: you know i was in que not too long ago, just driving on through hunting, and uh I noticed all that old that old uh, burn areas that's it's already way overgrown like I know it's been years, but well yeah, it already that, looks impenetrable like that you can't that's that chaparral bro yeah.
3: seventeen years,
1: yeah so
3: you're not seeing any trees growing back no
1: no it's just bushes it chokes them out and a bunch of old pines never fell
0: yeah and i and i don't and i don't advocate for like having goats come in on landscape that would just charred you know three years later i don't, I don't think that's no. probably good but I, I would say if you had goats come in five to eight years later it's probably not a bad idea
1: but then wouldn't they some you know go feral and eventually breeding population. And all ah, that, you know? th-
0: but well, if they're non-game species, just shoot them. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, dude, what would you rather have—an overgrown forest or a few
1: goats running around? I mean, yeah, but California's California's not going to look at it that way. We're going to have species.
3: You have them controlled. You have you have them in a fenced-in area. Oh, okay. Fenced with electronic yeah. fence.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that's literally how they round them up in other states.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, I, this, is, this is the first time I've. Ever I mean, heard you'll about the goat you'll see it, uh,
0: This coming. This coming. uh this coming fall you'll see it dude you'll see that they they literally bring in thousands of sheep i mean they're grazers obviously like you said they're not goats but these sheep i mean they'll go into an area and to me i feel like it's destructive and maybe it is i don't know but they do it right before winter so then the ground gets soaked with all the snow and then the spring runoff they everything comes back right and they do it in cycles oh this area then they start as winter comes they roll them down the mountain You know, the the cattle the same way as winter's coming, they push them down the mountain and they send them back up in the high country, you know, and and like I said, I know people are proponents about it and are like, oh, that's not good. It's taking food away from our game species and all this stuff. But obviously, you know, this is life and it's modern day and it's what we got to do. But if they did that in our local mountains, I don't see, at least for the time being, it being detrimental to what's there, you know, if anything, it's going to open up area which would then allow more feed to go, which would then help the native species. I mean, I'm not just talking about deer. I'm talking about jackrabbits, cottontails, Tur- road runners, turkeys, turkeys, ground feeding birds, everything Quail, up, all of it. it. It just helps the environment as a whole. Like if anyone hasn't noticed when you generally, when you go to an area that, that has water, it's open for the most part, like wide open, you know, with cover Not choked out you know grasses oaks pines you know you uh you generally find game you know yeah you do absolutely i don't know who that is but you generally find game so it's like go look at the side of palomar mountain up on that you know or anywhere any of it go look go look up uh in ramona a lot of those mountains so choked out, you don't see nothing. It's it's, yeah. It's just waiting for someone to throw a cigarette out. That's what it
1: is. You know what I mean? You, you <laughs> know, I know we were talking about like the mountains and 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 you know all the burns and all that, but not to uh, completely change the subject. But I went out hiking and I went out to this BLM land recently to go target shooting, and I found a few of those sheep drinkers out there, and all of them were bone dry. All the guzzlers. The yeah. guzzlers, yeah. yeah. You know those like the, it's They're just it's covered on top, and they can like dip their body in. And it's all covered, so the sun is not beating it up. But I've seen about three or four of them, and they're all dry.
3: That's and that's a big issue. And how you know? How do they keep the water in them? Yeah, you know, if yeah. we don't have rains. We don't have right. We don't have the water. And there's in
0: definitely them. if there's probably no money in it to go fill them up via helicopter. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, it's such a what's the the ram we have? Out here? The peninsula peninsula desert ram or whatever. It's the bighorns such, we have. Yeah, it? it's such a. I've seen them before off. Oh yeah, out there in Julia. like Okatia and stuff. Yeah, I mean they got to be around where I was at. I'd imagine, probably. But maybe not with those drinkers, but I mean, you think they're such an endangered species, California would take care of them. You're not allowed to hunt them,
3: <sighs> and that's that's an issue. Um, it seems like a lot of times we have we have animals that are being stressed, and the Depart- the Department of Fish and Wildlife either have so many irons in the fire or limited on funds that they can't do that. However, there are people, for example, um, Dave and Lori Nicholson, uh, they live out uh, east of um, Palm Springs. Last weekend, they went up to one of the guzzlers, sheep guzzlers, that they used to work on and and keep it running you know keep it functioning yeah um and they hadn't done it since their daughter was born and that was about 14 years ago right and they went up there and they found that the thing was working perfectly it had all kinds of water in it and so they just did a little bit of maintenance but when it comes down to working on the guzzlers most often it's private individuals voluntary work yeah it's like yeah. uh
0: yeah. on on sch outdoors dude they have uh like once a year i want to say they do go go to like borrego and do like a sheep count and i've never done it and i want to do it and uh the next time they do it i think i'm gonna go out there but i For know sure. like yeah, i think it's like the what do they call it? the sheep foundation down here yeah whatever
3: California sheep foundation
0: yeah so their local chapter down here um they go out there and they do the sheep count and I think they do guzzler work. And yep. and I've always wanted to do it. I just I you know I, I make up a million excuses why I haven't, but I, I just i need to do it. I want to do it. Yep. It just gets involved and you're able to just take part and learn from it, right? Right.
3: Yeah. I mean And I I have to echo your your guilt there. Yeah. <laughs> because I've never done it. Um and I've always because I've been involved with CBH so much, you know, as a president, you kind of, you know, all I need is one more iron in the fire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have never done it. But that's how those things are done. It's not done by Department of Fish and Wildlife. It's done by individuals who have the desire to get out there and do things. And they're not only sheep guzzlers, but they're also small game guzzlers quail elsewhere quail guzzlers yeah. and this kind of stuff um and most of those guzzlers were put in back in the in the 60s 50s and 60s and yeah.
1: 70s yeah the the on that one i saw because when they concreted it in they wrote it, it was 1971 i think last one i saw uh-huh.
0: i mean they're definitely it was when it was when hunting was still part of the tradition of exactly being a californian right <clears throat> you know but i mean conservation was key i
1: yeah. just think I know it's not a game oh it's it's a game species but it's not allowable for hunting well south of the eight yeah south of highway eight it, it just down okay. here you can't they don't have yeah. any tag
0: allotments here but when you get north of the eight there are very few but there are tags
1: I mean, i've mean i seen them coming down from. i've seen about three i think they're called what are the females ewes? Ewes? Ewes. ewes yeah i've seen three of them they had the orange tags on their ear that's they're right cool, off man. the road
0: yeah i mean they're, they're here yeah and it, i would imagine that it, i don't know i i feel as if like you said when species are stressed here in California they're not properly taken care of but species that aren't stressed they are almost as if like they're catered to like you know like i i don't even know where it comes from i do know where it comes from it's, it's we're not winning that's what it is that's what it is as a hunter as an outdoorsman outdoorswoman hunters and fishermen and women we are losing yeah,
3: we're a dying breed in the state of California. I mean, we're, we're dying sure.
0: in numbers. We're dying in organization. Like, uh, yeah, organization, like us organizing. We're dying politically, mm-hmm. you know, and our voices are dying because our numbers aren't there, you know. And, and we could have all the numbers we want, but if we don't organize, and I know I'm like probably preaching to the choir and they go, Brandon, put your money where your mouth is. I try, right? I mean, that's all I can do is try. I try to get the word out there. I mean, look what we're doing here, right? I mean, this is going to go to individuals that maybe don't know. But I guess what I'm getting at is it's an uphill uphill fight for us. And, like, when you go to other western states or even eastern states, like out east, I mean, a lot of land out there is private. But the emphasis on hunting and heritage is there. So their, their, their game species is taken care of you know, they're 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 managed to be like a renewable resource. Whereas like where we're at, I don't feel like that's the case. It's not. You know? It's not. And it could be. We I mean, think about it. Imagine if it was I mean sometimes I like to imagine. Imagine if we were able to have like game numbers that would relic other Western states. That when you did go out you found game, right? Like when you did go out, you you could assume you would find success throughout a season, right? Maybe not like, oh, I'm going to go. I can go do it right now. No, not like that. But like you buy a tag with the, with the assumption, especially from past seasons, that you would fill it. More confidence. Yeah. Imagine if California was like that. Oh, yeah. It would be amazing. Yeah. You you wouldn't see, you wouldn't. I mean, you'd always see people going out of state to hunt, but you wouldn't see as much,
3: because that's where the hunters are hunting now. Yeah, from California. Think about this. I hunt Missouri for whitetail. I've been doing it for five years now, and um, the first year I hunted with this outfitter, as we were riding out, and he was going to put me in one of my stands or one of their stands. Um. You know, we were looking at deer. We were watching deer. Uh, there's another buck. There's another buck. There's a doe. You know. He's from California, also. He's. They're both of the owners are correctional officers from the state of California. I didn't know him while we were in the same department for all those years, but they're both retired. and And Steve says, you know, Wayne, we're going to kill more deer in the opening weekend of gun season in Missouri than California does the entire season. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I believe it. 100%. Is that incredible? That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's what it should be. We, California goes from July to December 31st for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, what's crazy is like, I, I feel
0: as if it was, I hope my uncles are listening to this. I remember one time, one of my uncles say that um, the insurance companies out there want to make more tags available to residents and out of staters to kill more deer so they don't have to pay so much money out of pocket to fix vehicles.
3: And that's a true
0: statement. Yeah. And I I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, no shit. You know, that's a true statement. I think it was actually my uncle Todd that said that.
3: Yeah. I've got a friend in Wisconsin and he used to pick up, dead deer along the highways and the roads way, roadways and stuff out there worst job he said he ever had he See, I, he said I, I, I always uh, me and
0: my buddies at work we always joke because we got like super stressful jobs and uh we always joke and um he's like man I just want to be the dude that works for Caltrans go pick up fucking shit on the side of the road <laughs> <laughs> it's like so monotonous you know be it's like, be like hey brandon go pick up that deer that was hit on 78 or 76 yeah. you know what yeah. i mean it's like yeah. just so He'll monotonous yeah. but
3: he hated it but he's got a whole bunch of great racks oh, yeah. <laughs> i bet I bet, man you he know. said it was nasty he said you wouldn't believe what cars and vehicles do to deer oh man oh uh, yeah and, and then oh. they'd lay there for two days and you have to go pick the slop up oh yeah There's, well see, nasty. Nasty. see up
0: until uh up until i think it was this year When fishing game passed that roadkill law, so you get a ticket for doing that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: that's how crooked it is.
3: And in Colorado, for oh, yeah, since probably the early 90s, you were able to do that legally, pick it up. Dang. So
1: I haven't read into it like too much, but locally, if you see a deer on the side of the road, you're able to claim it, correct? I think you're allowed to now. You're allowed to now. You
3: can, you have to notify law enforcement, either Fish and Game or State Highway Patrol or somebody. And then they have to, I believe they have to come out to the site and then. Make sure it's not a trophy book. Yeah. And and, uh, I'm not sure what they do to authorize you to take that animal. I don't know if they have a tag. Uh, I haven't run across that. Right. But yeah, we finally got that passed here in California.
0: I mean, if I saw a car in front of me, whack whack a deer, bam. And you're like, that just happened and, and say it just broke his back and died, right? And uh hind leg is tore. I mean, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, I I mean I would I would give it a shot. It's a new law. I'd I would yeah, do it. Yeah. I, I mean, why not? Sure. I mean it would be pretty it'd be like, Oh, March. You know, say it happens yeah. in a few months from now, it's like March and you're like, Oh dude, yeah
3: running low on
0: yeah come june i'm out
3: you know i'm like oh man you know (laughs) I why not my wife would be like why'd
0: you bring that thing home like let me handle this Hang from my garage (laughs) (laughs) i saw that right i remember remember what she said when we hung
3: your deer (laughs) mount up there i don't
0: remember what she said oh Oh, man that's
3: that's so 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 huge i know it's It's overwhelming overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) and i said uh, we'll get an elk or yeah, a caribou exactly. up there. Uh, then that's big.
0: One day. It does, it one does day. really good work. Yeah, Ed Franson did that, man. Yeah. I got that awesome, a couple of days man. ago. Wayne delivered it. Appreciate it.
3: Ed Fanchon is one of those guys that that I met through archery. If I hadn't been in archery, I'd have never met him, even though he was a, uh officer for Corona. Uh, our paths never crossed. Right. But because we were both in – california bowman hunters we were both involved in hunting um we be we became very good friends right and uh he's he's one of those great guys he, he absolutely is. is and where he ha- where he gets his talent right i have no idea that ain't that crazy i have no idea it's wild how good he is he he does some of the most awesome mounts that you'll ever see
1: just he, blows my mind recently he posted i think he did a kuatamundi Monday. it's in it's, my truck right here yeah oh, is it it's drew's yes. oh man it's oh it's, 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 it's drew's, drew's. Oh, it's, yeah it's his wow. son
3: it's his kids I, oh, okay i'll show it to you before oh we, that would be awesome when we break up when it, my wife it, comes back
0: it's funny man because uh i found my coos deer hunt i was driving out because the sun had already dropped and i hit one of them things I was like, "What was that?" And I was like, doing, I was recording a podcast, mid podcast, just off my phone. <laughs> I remember that one. And I was like, "Man, I think I hit a, a raccoon." No, that couldn't have been a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, it was, I was like, "What was that?" I almost turned around. I should have. You should have. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I felt it in my truck. I was like, "Oh, dude, that's not good."
1: Talking about <laughs> Arizona, Wayne. I've been trying to convince Brandon he needs to get that coos mounted.
3: Uh, I, I would. <laughs> I, keep, I mean, We
1: keep telling him. I mean, I, I, I'm
0: I need sure to. I
3: could get a cape for you. Oh, I have the cape rolled oh, up. You've got it.
0: I got it right there.
3: Still frozen, or is it tanned? This,
0: everything's frozen. Yeah, I got to get it tanned. Oh, if so I gotta, Well, listen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's small. It's smaller than well, that yeah, mule deer. But so. it,
0: but that is a that coos. My buddy put it into perspective. He said, uh, he goes, people go to Mexico to shoot, pay a lot of money to shoot coos deer like yeah. that.
3: Yeah. The meat eater was just down there mm-hmm. eat with. Three of his or two of his friends, yeah. they were gun hunting. Yeah, and they all got their coos. But
0: yeah, yeah. Stephen Renella. Yeah, he's a good, it's a dude. great guy. I'd love to sit down and talk to him like I, this. I
3: oh, I would too. I'd love to. I would love to watch him shoot birds out of this out of the air like he does.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. he's like with this bow. Oh, oh, I've never seen
1: that. You've never seen? No, that? I don't think I've no, seen it. Huh? I don't think I've ever seen it. Is this it on
0: YouTube? I just have a look at it. Wow. I'm gonna have to look that up I think man. it's Steve.
1: No, there's another guy, Tim Wells. Tim Wells, that that's guy. who it, yeah, is. Oh, it's oh, Wells, who it right? is. Yeah, Tim Wells, right? Yeah, that guy yeah. speared a grizzly. He oh, a spears, is He spears everything. Yeah, that guy's insane. He's <laughs> nasty. Oh, he's <laughs> a crazy. <guy>. He's, <laughs> he's, I was he, like,
3: he, no, that sounds familiar. That has to be Tim have Wells. Have you ever met yeah, him? That's exactly. What it You've never met him. Mm-hmm. The big. interesting thing about Tim Wells, he shot world record mako thar mako shark with a bow and arrow. Really? Out of San Diego. Wow. man. Wow. Now repercussions from that I had to go before the Department of Fish and Game (laughs) and debate an attorney who was wanting to outlaw all bow fishing in the state of California over that over that well and she said that the bow fishermen shoot them in the tail and then they have the line they have a line attached to the arrow and then they have another line attached to that that's attached to, attached to a fishing pole, and they play the fish, the shark, until the shark tires out just for the sport of it all. Hmm. And she provided a photo of, that was taken from behind the Tim, and it showed the shaft, Pointing right towards the gills of the shark, and that's what she put up on on the big screen during the commission. Right, and she left it up there, and it was just awesome ammo for me.
0: Yeah, you went shooter, shoot her up. I said,
3: I said yeah. "Well, you're saying it was shot in the tail, but here it is, the arrows pointed right at the right at the gills, where they cut the gills and the gills bleed it out really quick."
0: Yeah. It's like a lung shot. Right behind right.
3: the shoulders on a deer. Yeah, it's a yeah. long shot. So, yeah, I had to debate.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's crazy. I, and on beha- finally.
3: On behalf of Tim Wells? On behalf of the bow hunters in California. Oh, okay. But because of Tim Wells. Oh, man. And it was really interesting. Um, the president of the Fish and Game Commission. Well, let me let me at, give you a little more information here. She was talking about how bow fishermen are not catch and release and fishermen are catch and release. And I told her before the meeting, we we had a phone conversation before the meeting and I said, you know, um, we need to be on the same side because there's gonna come a time when you need the bow hunters, the state bow hunters to back you on what your sport is doing and here you're trying to tear a part of our sport up, right? I said, you're trying to eliminate it. I said, it doesn't. It, it flies in the face of of any logic. Right. And, and she just, she was blinded by her passion. She had, she was an individual that caught the largest shark on light tackle by a woman. Because she she was a fisherman,
0: I feel like it's counterproductive to yeah. be a fish, you know, to fish, and then look yeah. at bow fishing as yeah.
3: so. Yeah. During during my presentation to the Fish and Wildlife Commission, excuse me, Fish and Game Commission. Now I, I don't know if you guys know the difference. Fish and Game is the name of the commission that is. That oversees fish and wildlife. So you have the governor, fish and game, and then fish and wildlife. Correct. So, I was speaking to the fish and game commission, and one of the things that she said was that we are not catch and release. Right. So, when I got when I got to the was was presenting my case to the commission. One of the things I said was, after I proved that she was absolutely stating wrong information by her own photo, was that you're saying we are not catch and release. I said, you go out and uh, with a baited hook and you put it out in the water. Any, any fish that comes close to that, that's drawn to that hook by that bait is going to take the hook, you're going to play it. As long as it takes to get it into the boat. By the time it gets into the boat, it is so, so tired Mm -hmm. that if you don't like what you see here, you're going to take it off the hook and let it go. Right. Now that fish is no longer capable of outrunning any other predator in the ocean. Correct. So that fish, you have just made a victim. Correct. And I said, hunters, bow hunters included, we are the ultimate catch and release. I said we don't pull the trigger on an animal we don't want to shoot. Correct. That we do not want to injure. So, when we see an animal, whether we're uh, chumming or not, and she was opposed to us chumming also, right? Which she chums when she's yeah. <laughs> fishing for sharks or exactly. anything else. Yeah.
0: She's fishing in a chum line. Exactly. Yeah.
3: So, I said when we when we see an animal. We evaluate it before we shoot it. Right. You hook it, play it out, make it tired, make it vulnerable. We haven't done anything. We may take a picture of it, or we may just let it go by. Right. That's the ultimate catch and release. Yeah. And the president on the commission just looked at me and he just got a big smile on his face. Yeah. Got him. And he overruled. They overruled well, good. they found her, you know, her case not worthy. Right. So that was that was great, but that was because of Tim Wells.
1: Yeah, let's. Uh, so he might have a connection. We might have to get Tim Wells on. I here. know, right? <laughs> get, in, get in contact with his agent. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's uh,
0: let's kind of change it up just a tad bit. So you were you're a resident of Southern California for quite some time,
3: fifty two years.
0: Fifty two years. So you have seen, you know, over fifty two years the ups and downs of you know hunting here. Correct. I mean. Steve has talked about it numerous times. You shoot waterfowl down in the Costa Lagoon, all that good stuff, right? I mean, it has changed so dramatically in your lifetime here than it has, like, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, what do you think needs to happen locally to try to improve hunting in Southern California?
3: There are so many things Um, for the deer population, hunting deer in California or in California and specifically in Southern California, I think we need to limit the number of tags. And I also think we need to limit or eliminate doe hunting. Right. Back in the eighties, I was opposed to that movement in San Diego County each county in the state of california has the option with the, with the exception of a few and i mentioned this to you the other day when we were we were chatting i still can't remember the law yeah you would what but there's a law that that allows the county to control what animals what what sex of animals are killed for example they can say no we're not going to have doe hunting in our county other counties don't have that option but san diego county has that option and they were trying to stop doe hunting in the in san diego county and we we opposed that because that at that time we could see deer hunting being eliminated in san diego county because that was the move that was that was uh right after the mountain lion so we knew what was coming so as an organization down here in San Diego um, we we opposed that stuff Mike Podorf and Bob Fusco were huge movers and shakers in that in that opposition um, but at this time we had, Course, we didn't have bears in, in San Diego County. Right. Uh, so we didn't have the issue with the bear predation on deer. But we still had the coyotes. We still had the bobcats. We still had mountain lions. Right. And we had vehicles and we had whatever habitat encroachment. So right. we had it all. Um, but because we were trying to protect our hunting rights we we opposed it today i think it would be appropriate for the fish and game to restrict the number of doe tags or number of does that are killed by hunters and i think the entire state should go on a one tag deer tag only because of the population
0: right i agree with the one tag that makes sense in the state of california like you get one tag in the state of California,
3: and I don't,
0: obviously I have no idea, but my assumption is they have two to generate money, because it's like 50 bucks a tag, isn't it? Like 48 bucks or a tag? the
3: second tag's big.
0: Yeah. So obviously it generates revenue to have individuals get a second tag, and depending on what unit you're in, I mean, statistically, the odds of harvesting an animal on that tag are pretty low. So why wouldn't they have a second tag? You know what I mean? It's not like they're it's not like they're planning on you finding success. Right? You look at other states and you go, "Yeah, you get one tag." Well, you know, you get that tag, the odds of you filling that tag are a lot better than you filling it here. Now, I'm not talking about any of these special hunts, right? The premium tags. I'm talking about the general over-the-counter hunts here. In California the odds are low correct they are low so you know when I look at it I think it would do nothing but good if we were to only have one tag uh, per resident and locally I believe that the general season D16 the rifle season the dates are wrong the dates are way wrong you're literally chasing bucks With a rifle, depending on what area you are, we're pretty diverse ecosystem here. I mean, you can be sea level to 5,000 feet pretty quick. So if you're one that believes in elevation kind of dictates the rut and you play that, you'd be chasing deer in the rut with a rifle, right? And you get them at the most vulnerable time where a doe sees you. She may go, oh, I don't like this, I'm out of here blows off or a buck is just a dumb buck at that time and doesn't have any care of the world you know i mean if you smelt like a doe in heat probably come over and try to play with you you know what i mean sure so i don't i don't like the season on the rifle tag here i don't think it does any good i mean not that a thousand bucks get shot you know they do have three thousand d d16 tags right i think this i think uh Statistically, I think it's like a 12% odd with a rifle in San Diego and they have a thousand a 22 tags Which I think is like 6% and then you tap in I don't know 80 M6 tags that muzzleloader tag and then you I don't know 150 Doe tags on the g13. I think it's right 100 150 tags on that. So just round up 4500 tags in San Diego County plus However, many AO tags, right? I don't think San Diego could even support. I mean, if you give a tag, you're legally able to shoot a deer, right? Nope. So if you got a tag, you can kill a deer on it. So if every one of those tags were filled, I know it wouldn't happen. But if every one of those tags were filled, I mean, we're, we're, you're going to lose a large portion. I mean, if you talk to me, I'd say that's all the deer in San Diego County.
3: You're getting close. You're getting close, that's for sure.
0: But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's more of a a – it's it's to generate revenue. So they'd rather generate revenue than – and have an opportunistic hunt, right? Opportunities there, Mm -hmm. which I like, and it's – obviously, I've taken part in it. I think it's good to have opportunity. But I think there needs to be some balance, you know? I think 3,000 tags, 3,000 rifle tags, A – isn't fun for anyone when you go to a spot and you see 17 trucks and it's just not fun for you. It's fun. It's not fun for anyone because exactly. you're not the only one that sees 17 trucks. Oh. Right. So yeah. when you see that at every trailhead, cause there's 3000 rifle tags, I don't even hunt the opener anymore. Right. I mean, if anything, I'll go sit in my tree stand, but I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where, you know, the secret's out like hunt midweek. No one's out there That's BS. Yeah. Everyone's out there because <laughs> the secret's <laughs> out, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, uh, I don't, I don't, I feel like it's wrong. I feel like it's bad. It's not good for the outdoorsmen to have so many tags. I mean, it is to get people out there and it's good overall as a whole, the more people involved, but.
3: I think it's a pretty much a catch 22, um, and fish and game, fish and wildlife um sometimes you kind of wonder why why they're not doing more than what they're doing is it <clears throat> is it the money that they're wanting based on the tag revenue or is it that they know that california isn't going to be hunting deer very long in the future
0: right
3: is it going to be eliminated So they're not gonna have to worry about the population because it's kind of like they're not worried about the population in a decline through predation, through vehicle accidents, through lack of inhabit or habitat through hunting. It just doesn't seem like they're putting uh, the interest of the population and the mandate, the state mandate um, in our constitution says, proper wildlife management. They're not doing that. Right. So you just kind of kind of makes you wonder what their long-term thoughts are, what their object, objectives are. Are they really concerned about the deer population or are they just are they just concerned about All right, let's let's just keep our head above water. Continue to, with the with the tags, continue with Generating as much revenue as we can and ride out the storm until there's no more storm.
0: See, I feel as if they're being reactive. They're not going to be proactive. I think fish and wildlife is going to be reactive in a sense that it's going to take some swinging dick with Warren Buffett money to come through California and sue the state of California, right, on behalf of wildlife management and really put the ringer to them. Right. And, and, and have a feasible case that we could win based on wildlife management and have that happen to actually get a true wildlife plan for management for anything to change. But unfortunately, I, nobody, you know what I mean? It'll take someone with, I mean, endless amounts of money right. to even have a team to put together a case to go behalf. And represent us like that.
3: Yeah. And it's not going to happen.
0: It, it won't happen. Uh-uh. And then, like, if it's a revenue thing, it would be the state of California could raffle off tags, like we kind of touched on it. The Santa Rosa Islands, right? They could make that a special hunt. They're obviously, it's no longer there, and it's not what it was. But they could charge money to have hunters go there and take part in. Managing a game population out there and charge hefty fees. You know, I mean, nothing's going to escape from that island. It's 50 miles or how many miles? 12 miles off the coast?
3: Yeah. Yeah. About that.
0: Yeah. You're not going to have a herd of herd of rock mountain elf (sighs) jump off that thing and swim mainland. You know, it ain't going to happen. Right. So, I mean, you could, you could put transport some, some elk over there. You know, Catalina is another thing. I mean, the conservancy over there, you can hunt over there. So that's like the last remaining out of San Clemente and Santa Rosa. But Santa Rosa Island, like that could have been a huge revenue generator. It could have been a special program to get, you know, outdoors men and women involved, you know, take hunter safety. You know, when you take hunter safety, you can get a discounted trip to go out there and go harvest your first goat, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there were so many opportunities that have been squandered because of mismanagement.
3: Yeah, And it's sad. Yeah, and outside of Department of Fish and Game, Fish and Wildlife, um, there's so much opposition, anti-hunting opposition, that the legislators all bend that way. There's so many voices. There's so much money. Look at Hollywood. Yeah. You know? they're great proponents of stopping all of hunting. Um, so you've got all these big voices and the average hunter doesn't have that kind of, that kind of money. Right. And our organizations don't have that kind of voice, even though we are standing in front of fish and game commission at every meeting that they have and we're represented. But, um, Because they're not involved in the rural rural community and and the reality of life and death, Uh, it's like you and I were talking the other day, there isn't an animal out there, not a wild animal out there, that lives and at the end of its life doesn't have a very violent death. The least violent death they have is from a hunter yeah the rest of them they're either starved die of disease they're not dying of old age dying of mountain lion predation dying of coyote predation a pack of coyotes gets on a buck or no oh, gosh yeah they came over they eat them alive Ask i mean first. the deaths are are incredibly violent yeah so they're removed from that they'd have no clue of what really happens in reality In the wild yeah so it's just like the bobcat issue oh you know the Mm anti-hunting community that that got that set you know they think the the bobcats is cute little cuddly furry ball
1: will tear you up
3: yeah and they prey on so many animals they'll Mm -hmm. take they'll take down a a full-grown deer i believe it
0: big 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 tom yeah big tom will do uh.
3: it yeah and then they they prey on On the fawns, and we don't have the bear population and concern here in San Diego County, but the bear, the bear is a huge issue on deer predation. Yeah, Yeah, it is. touched
1: that on the last spot with with Bill, right? He said that more people are more more deer get yeah killed by bears than they do mountain lions.
0: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. That's what Bill Gaines had said. That over eighty
3: percent of the fawns are taken by bear
0: And then the worst part about the bear thing is that when we got rid of hunting bears with hounds. You know we haven't reached the objective of harvest since it hasn't happened
3: i was at the fish and game commission meeting in sacramento in 2011 and why my brain is always able to pull this up i have no idea but at the commission we had a had the bear biologist get up and present his information his findings we were taking 1750 bears i believe at the time or 1700 I can't remember. A one. season. Oh, yeah. a year. There's a year only one season, yeah. So the bear biologist got up there and said, "Our bear population in the state of California is demanding that we take 3,000 bears per year."
0: That's what he said?
3: That's what he said.
0: Is demanding. Cuz they're just there there's the no population. It's exploding.
3: It's explo- it was exploding. There was no way we could keep the bear population stable at that number without taking 3,000 bears a year. Gosh. That's why
0: people have them in their swimming pool in LA.
3: Exactly. Now, at that time we had a very pro hunting commission. Right. And Dan Richards was the president. You guys may remember Dan. He was the, president of the California Department of Fish and Game that went to Idaho and shot a mountain lion. Yep. And then the media and everybody blew Shoot, up, went yeah. crazy. Their heads exploded because he yeah. legally killed a mountain lion in another state yeah. when he was supposed to be protecting the mountain lions here in this state. So Dan was sitting as president, and he said, we understand exactly what you're saying. We know that's what we should be doing but if we present to the public and to our legislators that we are going to increase the bear take to 3000 a year we're going to lose bear hunting cuz it's just going to it's going to cause so much turmoil right so much concern and so be so vocal that everybody in the state it's going to be just like the mountain lion y- you know the it's funny. going to go on legislatively and it's going to be voted on And we're going to lose it.
2: So they're concerned about the general public just being. Right. Upset. Enraged. Their constituents.
0: The the crazy thing about it is that the state of California likes to listen to scientists. Right. (laughs) Know what I'm saying? They sure do. Until it falls in regards to wildlife. Yeah. And and it's. You would think that. Like I was just going to ask you this. And then I had to make that remark. But um, it makes no sense to me that. The state of California makes their management plans like the, the it's almost in it's infactual. Like their their science that they're using or whoever's giving the inf- information is not it's not correct. And then when the correct information is giving or given, they they back away from it. You know, like it to me. Why wouldn't the state of California want to have a healthy population of wildlife? Like, why? Why wouldn't the management plan, regardless of who's doing it, regardless? I get it. The people of California voted on lions. And to be honest with you, even even if they opened it back up, We probably wouldn't kill as many as we think. We all think we're mountain lion killers. I'll go out there and kill nine of them. You you never see them anyway. Steve Trigliotto sat here and told me straight to my face, I've never seen one face-to-face. Like, I mean, he's been hunting San Diego forever. So as much as we think we'd be able to go out and keep the cat population under control, we probably wouldn't, so we'd need help, right? But why doesn't the state of California manage the population to what it should be I mean, they're paying them, so pay them some more. You know, would they pay a million dollars to get rid of, or ten million dollars to get rid of the pigs in San Diego? Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, helicopters. Yeah, and all kinds uh, of uh, you know traps. what I mean. Like, pay the trappers to manage our wildlife if you're not going to let us do it. Like, that's that's a that's a uh, that's an even keel, right? That's us coming to the table and saying, "Hey, we want to work with you. You guys manage it then, but manage it." Don't just let it go unchecked. The biologist said 3,000 bears need to be taken out a year. You don't want us to do it? Fine. You don't want us chasing them with with uh, hounds to be able to do this? Because that, that goes into it too. Unless you shoot them over a trash pile, it's hard to find bears unless you're in a campground, right? And you're not going to be able to shoot them in a campground. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like it's not as easy as it sounds for individuals to go out and just start harvesting predators. Right. Right? But eventually they get wise they they will run away from humans they will know everything about it right so that being said the state of california should manage it and whoever's telling them yeah we're doing a good job don't worry about it is wrong right like why why is that why i don't get it
3: it's politics it's it's the political atmosphere that we currently live in in the state of california it's it's anti it's anti hunting it's anti wildlife management it's all about We've got to remove the human element from all of the habitat. We've got to live in condos that are 50 stories high in areas that are not inhabited by wildlife. We have to move away from encroaching upon the wildlife and their habitat.
1: See, I like to say where there's human intervention, there needs to be management, but it's just not happening.
0: and, And to touch on what Brian just said, we've already made our mark. Like we're already here. 15 yep. is right there. It, we are yeah, we we are here. We encroach every day. Yep. You can't pull us out. We are responsible of our own lands. We are responsible for our environment. Listen to the news. We got to change this. We got to change that. It's our responsibility. It's the same thing. It's our responsibility to manage our wildlife. Period absolutely and it's not happening and and like i said like we can have a million hunters right we can't organize we couldn't organize a million hunters if we tried like california-wise even if there was a million here we couldn't do it okay to get everybody on the same page ain't gonna happen but if we were to get them on the same page it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter here in california wouldn't matter Because you're not gonna have them in the area. You're not gonna get a million hunters in a 12 million person, like in a population of 12 million to change something. You see what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. I mean, 10% of the vote is a lot of a vote. I get that. And maybe you can change an opinion of your representative, but it still goes against what their constituents want. So it isn't gonna change anything. And I'm not saying give up hope. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that California, And my view is just you hear it every day. Everyone just move out of California. That's what everyone says. Just move away. Move out. But to me, I can't. I live here. Right? So I don't want to give up hope. But I also feel as if no one listens to us.
3: That's basically the the bottom line. Because we are the small voice. We're absolutely the small voice. And back on what what you're just mentioning a little bit ago because we're already here we are mandated by law to manage the California wildlife right that's in our constitution
0: hence where some proper somewhere.
3: wildlife management yeah. those words exist in our constitution for the department of fish and wildlife fish and game
0: i mean i don't know what kind of money it would take <clears throat> to bring a case before the state of california but i mean i feel like <laughs> it, it, that's the only way I mean, we can all organize. We can go to our representatives. We can have them vote, right? Like we could try to organize and get individuals when when legislation comes into our lap to vote on. Like we, we could all try to make it work or like vote something in, but it just, it's not gonna happen. And the state of California needs to get sued over it. But until there's hundreds of millions of dollars available for a lawsuit... Wait, it's not going to happen.
3: Well, it's just you know a great example of that was during the the um, hounds' battle to run bears. The hounds, the California houndsmen, at the Senate, we had seven hundred pro houndsmen voices at the Senate. Made no difference. The legislators were in just. They couldn't believe how many people were there representing and backing the houndsmen in in this fight. Overwhelmed the opposition, but because the opposition had the ear of the legislators who were in control of this and who were voting in the Senate, that they already had their mind made up before the hearing ever happened, and they knew what they were going to vote.
0: Getting lobbied left and right.
3: Didn't make any difference, yeah. Yeah, See? They, they didn't make any difference to them because ninety percent of them were anti-hunters anyway. So they didn't believe in hunting. They don't. They don't have a clue what proper wildlife management is, and hunting is just this big, is this nasty stigma right. that rednecks bring from the country. You know, they, they have no respect for them.
0: They don't look at the nope. the heritage, the tradition, the camaraderie, no nope. the friendship.
1: Do I remember the fr- when I? I did my first out of state hunt this year in Arizona and I remember calling Brandon, dude, I can see gaps between the trees. I can see I can see the floor. You know, I was just <laughs> so amazed how how good Arizona does it, but I'm like Yeah. It's like they don't even care they don't care.
0: Yeah, California's just not it's just not I, I get it. I do get it. Like we don't we're trying to change something that doesn't want to be changed. Yeah. Right? I mean the majority would like I I guarantee you, you talk to like the opposition You say hey do you want to see a healthy population of this yeah you want to see a healthy population yeah you want to see the environment do this yeah absolutely well this is what it's going to require Nope. exactly you know what i mean
3: that's exactly what they're gonna that's it, their exact response i mean
0: everybody wants everyone wants clean water everyone wants clean air right everyone that wants this stuff until it hits them in the pocketbook sure and it changes everything you know, they,
3: if they have to do something or it financially impacts them, yep. if a mountain lion eats your dog, not going to do
0: it. Well, you'd be, a, you'd be one <laughs> angry homeowner, but your neighbor would say, oh, she's doing what it wants to do.
3: And that's what people like Project Coyote say. You, Pro- we live in their, their habitat. You have to learn how to, how to uh cope with them. You have to learn how to live with them. Right.
1: I'm looking at you crazy cause I've never heard about this. <laughs> really? what, yeah. You've never heard that? Project Coyote.
3: Project Coyote Dude. wants to eliminate all hunting of coyotes in the state of yeah, California. Yeah, that's
2: next, bro. But when they say that, oh the, their God. territory is like everywhere. They live in every well, yeah. I've North. seen them in they National live. City. Dude, I've, I've
1: seen them in my dad's back garden. we we
0: walk our dog. Right we, here in me and my wife. We were walking Cali. Well, coyote came down, cat in his mouth. Sure. This stupid dog right here behind me. Her hair stood up all crazy. You <laughs> know, it's like Urgh. she don't bark, but she just yeah. like got like
2: whoa, what was that? You know. Yeah. Yeah, but what they're saying is just essentially deal with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're there to they're That's there to exactly stay. how mm-hmm.
3: all of the anti-hunting organizations feel and think. Yeah. PETA, back when we were fighting the mountain lion issue, I don't remember her last name. Her first name's Gretchen. She was the president of PETA, if I'm not correct. I'm, I can be held accountable up to this. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's all <not> right. <laughs> um, she said a, a rat is a chicken. As a chicken is a boy. So Hmm. a rat has the same value and rights as a chicken, and a chicken has the same rights and value as a boy. That's their ideology. They don't... Everything has a right. Everything is more important than a human and a human's right. Right. So they're so... They're so their ide- ideology. I I can't even say their it. ideology. Yeah, is so upside down that when they say these things, your head just explodes. You just can't believe that came out of a grown woman's mouth, who probably is a mother.
0: Right. It, it, I think a lot of it's based on emotion.
3: It's all based on emotion. Yeah, it's you know, and then they say understand. things that you know
0: that that are triggers. They say things that would light us in this room up. Uh-huh. right what, the, what are you talking about you know but do they really i don't i don't know listen they, they, it's we all have our own opinions and all that stuff and and i get it i do like hey you're an american you can do whatever you want right but the fact of the matter is it's proofs in the pudding like what we have going on right now it could be a whole lot better yep. right and and it would be real nice if if uh PETA got on the same page and was like hey, let's put our differences aside right now and let's look at the big picture and try to get what we got going on better, Mm -hmm. right?
3: Yep, absolutely.
0: But I mean, we could probably at that point really make a difference for the wildlife in California because the only one paying the price of the wildlife being in a shitty state is the wildlife. Like we live in our homes. We turn on the heater when we're cold. We turn on AC when it's hot. Go to the grocery store when we're hungry. You know, turn on the faucet when we're thirsty. That don't happen in the wild.
3: Sure doesn't,
0: you know, and that and that's we all should try to figure it out. But I, I mean,
3: it's emotional. Yeah, you named yeah. it. It's I called mean, <laughs> it. It's all emotional. All emotionally driven. It's crazy. Every bit of it.
1: When I got another question, actually, I got two of them. Uh, I know, I know, it's kind of off topic what we're talking about, but when you were last uh, president, and uh, have you, when's the last time you heard of something about bow hunters being able to carry a handgun? If mountain lines are you know mountain lines are protected and and whatnot,
3: we're Bill Gaines and other entities, CRPA California Rifle Pistol Association, um, and other organ, outdoor organizations are all working towards that goal. Where they are right now, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure. I've been little little bit removed from it, but. I'm a peace officer. I'm a retired peace officer. So about eight years ago or so, we got it through um, where the retired peace officers or active duty peace officers could carry a handgun, a concealed weapon, Mm -hmm. while bow hunting, period. And And the reason for that was... Many peace officers are hunters, so when when they travel, they travel with their concealed carry. Mm-hmm. So if they can't carry the their weapon when they're hunting, they have to leave it in their vehicle. Vehicles get broken into, firearms are stolen. Yeah. So there's an issue there. So we got it through, and approved to have that aspect, where. Retired and active duty peace officers can carry a handgun. The next move was so that all concealed carry people could have a handgun. But the caveat to this is, and I don't understand it, is that the individual that is hunting deer cannot carry a weapon, cannot carry a handgun. Right. If you're bear hunting, you can carry it. If you're antelope hunting, you can carry it. If, you're, if you are elk hunting, you can carry it. Mm-hmm. If you have a bear tag on you and you're hunting bear, but you have a deer tag on you and you're stopped by a game warden, he will cite you yeah. for carrying that handgun because you could be deer hunting. Yeah. Right. So... Through these organizations, we're still trying to move and move towards the end goal of everybody being able to hand to carry a, a handgun, while while bow hunting
0: with a CCW. Th- that's a disclaimer. You have to have a CCW. Not to say that we're telling you to put a gun in your waistband and walk around with your bow. Just clarify that. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, and believe it or not, this all started way back in the '80s, trying to get this because it get this implemented and it wasn't based upon necessarily wildlife is marijuana growers. Hmm. That makes sense. Wow. A really good friend of mine, Tim Atwood was hunting and I don't know exactly where he was hunting, but he walked into a marijuana grove and a guy approached him with a yeah. AR. Oh man. scared. You get out of here.
1: <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. was just listening oh. not too long ago, the podcast you guys did with Patrick, Foy, Foy, mm-hmm. yeah, and you guys were talking about that. Yeah, Captain Hunters Packet walking Foy. into uh, you know yep. marijuana grows and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, how it's dangerous a, it could it's be. The real
0: deal. Yes, it is. It, it could happen anywhere. Anywhere.
3: Yeah, and and now with the mountain lion and the bear populations at such high high uh, numbers, then that's the other element.
0: Yeah, we we talk. It's a it's a rabbit hole. It, it yeah, <laughs> the the mountain lion thing is just incredible to me. You know, it blows my mind. I have a question for you. I want your honest opinion. like Scout's honor. What? I guess it's a two part. First off is what do you think the state of hunting in California is currently? And where do you think it's heading?
3: The state of the hunting in California is on a decline. We have less hunters in the state of California now than we have ever had.
0: Okay. Uh,
3: A lot of that's based upon what we've been discussing, wildlife management, Mm -hmm. improper wildlife management. The other aspect is um, the number of young individuals being recruited into the hunting community has decreased. I have two daughters Neither one of them hunt. one of them did hunt, and she and I went to Santa Cruz Island, and she shot three sheep in one day. I got zero.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: But it was the best hunt in my life. That's awesome. I had her her ram mounted for her. she and I gave it to her. Her mother and I were divorced. I gave it to her, and her mother had it up on the wall. And her friends came over and got all freaked out over it. Oh my God, Robin, what's why do you have oh that's horrible, that's terrible. Robin called me and said, Dad, could you take my sheep? Mm. So I've had her sheep for the last twenty-five years. well, oh, Thereabouts. Wow. So that's that's the driving force, our schools.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, are not promoting hunting at all, yeah, or they, shooting, yep, no. firearm ownership, none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the peer pressure is horrendous. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the big issue, and, and uh, California Fish and Wildlife currently have a program that's the R three program where they recruit, retain, or retain. My tongue's getting tangled up. Uh, and it, the third R. I think it's
0: recruit, retain, retention to keep the guys that are hunting still in. So it's recruit, retain, retention. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's what it is.
3: And, uh, and that's a heck of a good, a good program.
0: But yeah. Look that up, dude. I think I just screwed that up. It's yeah, because retain
3: R's. and retention are.
0: Same. Recruit, retain, and retention. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, you gonna look it up All real quick? Right. Sure. I got this, guys.
2: <clears throat> we'll figure this hey, out. Hey, we're not brainiacs.
3: We're just yeah. I mean, I'm we're not perfect. I'm not perfect, man. <laughs> it's, um,
2: guys, it's recruitment, retention, and reactivation. reactivation. Oh, okay. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. For the older hunters.
3: Does it say who's in charge of it there?
2: Uh, this is um, well, it's coming from the U.S.
3: Fish and Wildlife Service. And does it say who the California program person is? Uh, let's see here, guys. She is from Orange Side, or Oceanside.
0: Oh, she is. Um, okay.
3: No, yeah. this one doesn't say. But I'll say maybe it. if
0: you type in California on that, it'll probably bring her up.
3: So yeah. she's from Oceanside. Yeah. Now she moves. She got married and lives up north now. Okay. But. Um, and there's
1: there's a other states that like don't they shut down for opening opening, opening, opening day up? man? Yeah, right. Missouri it's, does too. Yeah, it's wow. a big
0: deal, dude. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah. A lot of people, just, you know. I just would, can't imagine what the good old days used to be like hunting SoCal. <sighs> you so, and com- me both. It, would have been it amazing. Incredible. So I mean, I still have a blast, but I mean, I just can't imagine it way back in the day.
0: Well, yeah, it, it goes into the triple R. You know, it's like, are you or taking your daughter to Santa Rosa, right? Like you took your daughter to Santa Rosa. She shot three goats, right? Three it, sheep, yeah. Or, or yeah, three sheep. So this is the thing. Like for me, I have a nephew Right, he doesn't live here, but when he comes down, I always take him fishing, right? I don't take him bass fishing, right? I take him to go catch bluegill. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's fun. You catch fish. Yep. You gotta it it ties into hunting. You take a kid hunting, and it's not exciting. If you don't see game, right? And obviously you go deer hunting, you're not always gonna pull the trigger. But if you go out and you go dove hunting. I mean, there's a lot of dove here. I'm not going to say there's not, but if you go out and just walk and don't shoot at anything, you just went on a walk with a gun. That's all you did, right? I mean, it's not exciting for a kid. So there needs to be game. It needs. I mean, and hunting's not all about killing, but you know, it, it, there's a lot that plays into hunting and fishing. Like it's it's more than just catching fish and and um, killing. You know, I mean, it's camaraderie. It's being outdoors fun but there has to be a level of fun involved and a lot of that comes from the excitement of seeing game catching fish shooting game see what i'm saying so it's like santa rosa was a perfect opportunity i bet you someone up the chain is probably like man i wish we had a program that was like santa rosa island you know where individuals that are in this program or trying to get individuals you know involved could go out there on a Get your fishing game license or get your hunting license out there. Maybe spend two days out there, you know, and go with an instructor and harvest your first big game animal. Yeah. That'd be awesome.
1: Yep. Wait, I didn't see a single, just uh, past uh, D16 season, I didn't see a single legal buck. I saw about four does. Really? Yeah. I don't know if that just, I mean. I mean, there was a lot of people I didn't see a lot of bucks. But but let, let's, I felt uh, like I saw more last year than I did this
0: year. You probably did. But I actually want I want to get back to that question, that two-parter.
3: Okay.
0: What do you think the outlook is? Like what, like your honest opinion, where are we headed in California? I mean, I've like kind of been talking about it, but like is there hope?
3: I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're not going to have hunting in California. That's that's the bottom line. It's been an interesting ride. I got involved with California Bowman Hunters and State Archery Association back in 1980, 79 or 80. And we, as CBH, petitioned the uh, California Department of Fish and Game Commission to acquire an antelope season. We petitioned to get elk tags. We petitioned to get an elk season, archery-only elk elk season. We petitioned to do so much, and we were given, based upon scientific data, those seasons, those tags. So we made huge strides in, in the earlier years, whether it was the 50s, 60s, 70s. CBH has been around for 75 years. So... Um, back then, things were happening for the hunters because there were a lot of hunters compared to non-hunters in the state of California. It, the the um, ideology has flopped. It's more, much more non-hunters, anti-hunters than it is hunters now. So, from what I've seen. The trend is we're going to lose hunting. We're going to lose bird hunting. Dove hunting is going out. We're going to lose the ability to hunt dove, quail, and pheasant with dogs. We're going to lose the ability to hunt bears. Bears will probably be the next one because that's a hot topic. Yeah. But bird hunting is also a hot topic. Yeah. Archery is going to be also outlawed in the state of California.
0: That's a sad outlook. I mean, it it really is. I mean, like you said, you don't have a time frame on it, but the fact that like individuals see it coming, like see that happening, and then it's not a far-fetched idea. I mean, this is almost reality. I mean, it's happening as we speak. But it's almost like there's nothing we can do.
3: It's pretty much it is. Pretty much it's something that we cannot fight. We can fight, but we're not going to be successful. Right. I was talking to one of the guys in fish and game he was I don't remember his position but he said he was retiring and several other people in the Department of Fish and Wildlife were retiring in the higher positions and he he and I were talking about this one day and he said Wayne in five years you're not going to recognize Department of Fish and Wildlife. And he's right. Our wardens, many of them are non hunters, non fishermen. Yeah, they learn everything they know about, excuse me about fishing and hunting on a computer in in a classroom, right? They don't have any experience in hunting. They're not involved in it. They've never been involved in it. They have no interest in it. But because they have a degree And the Department of Fish and Game and Fish and Wildlife are government-run departments. No matter what your ideology is, if you have the qualifications, you have to be interviewed, and based upon your interview, you're rated, right, and then you're hired based upon where you place on that on that scale. So it makes no difference. It used to be you had to be a hunter to be a game warden. Makes sense. Or or fishing fishing fish game. Right. It, it employee. Makes sense, but it's no longer that way.
0: It um we kind of touched on this a little bit. It's the way it's the way that the perception of the wardens in the field is not always good. Exactly. And it's all because of the, the encounters that anglers and hunters have that aren't always that aren't always pleasant that could be a pleasant experience with consequences mm-hmm. whereas when you hear about it it's always negative right and um i feel as if i don't know i just, I just feel as if 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 a warden knows something's been wronged, Right, De- depending on the severity, but if it's an honest mistake, right? Like I, I know of people that have made small mistakes. that have been read the riot act, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. I don't, I don't feel as if that's warranted. Like if you got to ticket somebody or cite or you know give someone a citation, go right ahead and do it, right? I mean, without a doubt, that's what you're getting paid to do. It's your job, you know. I mean. Listen, it's a great job. I mean, I, I in a part of me, I'm envious. Like, I think that'd be an amazing job, right? But I feel as if if you don't sympathize with the individuals that have like done wrong, you're more likely to be that authoritarian dictator-ish person giving the citation and not having a constructive conversation that could a be beneficial with that individual and perceptions, everything. So when he talks to his friends, like, dude, I ran into this badass warden, you know what? I did this wrong, but he was super cool to me. He ran me through what I did was wrong. Cause it was an honest mistake, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like on the other hand, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't I've had a handful of pleasant experience. Like I haven't contacted I haven't been in contact with fishing game many times. But the times I have, I've had decent ones. I've also had some like really bad ones and like uncomfortable parts. Yeah. Right? I mean I told you about the one. Right. It's very wrong. Yeah.
3: It's wrong. Yeah. And And that's and that's the problem. That's the problem. Like you and I talked about the other day with the wardens. Yeah, when they approach somebody, they don't know what's going down. Yeah. That was the good thing about me working in the prison system. I knew who I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. But cops and highway patrolmen and wardens have no idea who they're dealing with and what kind of person and what they have. I
0: sympathize with that, though. Yeah. So I understand. Come at me hot. That's fine. Get safe. Yeah. Get safe. Yeah. But when you're safe and you know you're safe.
3: Yeah. Yeah, It's... They've got, to, they've got to protect themselves. They've got to be able to go home at night. Completely but, understand. But when you're approaching a hunter, whether he's done anything wrong or not, whether you're, you're just checking his license, you can be cool about it. Yeah. In, in Utah, we have the wardens there coming up to us in our camps or when, when we're driving, you know, they'll, we'll see them stopped and we'll stop and talk to them. And we'll talk to them for a half hour because they're cool and they never ask even for our license. And we always go, you want to see our license? Oh yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. So it's, it's a different, it's a different mindset. California for some reason, so many of the wardens are super aggressive They're They have a, they have an attitude about them.
0: Yeah, well, I I feel as if it's based on species that you're after. That I that I do feel. Hmm. I feel I got we so me and Jesse, we've had him on his it was his tag name was like 8 Steel Town. Me and him were we're dove hunting about 10 miles north of here, kind of out by where your house is up there. And um we're on this rock pile. Two wardens came in hot, like in their trucks, brr, coming in hot. Got out, hey, what's going on, guys? Best experience I've ever had. Now they came in hot, honest. I mean, they like threw their trucks and parked and hopped out right away. I don't know if that's protocol, I don't know any of that, right? But they came out and they're super cool. He's checking plugs, checking licenses. You know? I handed him my gun, he checked it. He's like, here, hold on, there's those birds, get them, get them, get him. Like, I mean, it was it was a pleasant experience. Now, we were on private property, we're using the law to our advantage, right? Fishing game code 2016. If anyone wants to look it up, go ahead, interpret it how you will. But that's a law. I feel as if if we were on those rocks doing the same exact thing, if I was to have a rifle on me or a bow on me and we were hunting deer, that experience may not have been what it was hunting doves. Now, I don't know if it was specifically those wardens or the game species we were hunting. But I guess what I'm getting at is if you get a warden that's not a hunter and he's fond to a certain species and you're doing what you're doing, he may come at you hot because he's irritated or she's irritated or their perception of what you're doing is wrong. You see what I'm saying? Sure. And I feel like a lot of that's alleviated if you got like-minded people regulating what you're doing.
3: Yeah, I think, I think if all of our wardens were mandated to be hunters or fishermen, they'd have a different, yeah, a different reactive response.
0: Could you imagine if you if you had a first time hunter lays down a, his first deer, he or she lays down their first deer, right? And the warden comes up, helps that individual get that animal, you know, kind of good positive experience that would be. Helps yeah. them drag it out to the truck or quarter it up, yeah. make it positive. It goes a long way. That's all I'm saying.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've had, I personally haven't had the experience, but even here in California, one of my friends had to drag his deer three miles and the warden came in and checked him and said, you need help with that deer? He said, yeah. Okay. Load it up in my truck and we'll take it out. goes
1: a long way. I've seen some of that locally.
3: That's good, but that was in '80s. That was in the '80s.
1: I, my so. first year deer hunting, 2017. Not, I'm not gonna say the location, but uh, a lot of these guys rifle hunting there, and there's this older guy. He every single opening weekend or whatever, he gets a deer down, and the old guy has he has good luck. He's been hunting that set of uh, mountains for a long time, and uh, the game wardens always show up that uh, show up to that area because they know it's real. Was hunted a lot. There's a lot of hunters there, so they can check licenses and whatnot. But uh, they actually opened a, a drivable fire road gate, and they were they helped people pull their deer out from the bottom of the oh. bottom of the mountain. See, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I
3: I that's like a, that. Yeah, that's a positive experience. Yeah, that, yeah. that goes a long ways.
0: Absolutely, it does. Yeah. It does, and and uh, I think that's good. Yeah, they all should be like that, though. They're not? mm No. I mean, when you get... Re- <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not. They're not. <laughs> most, I mean.
1: most of the time, you're guilty until proven. Yeah. Well, right. You got to prove
0: your innocence. Yeah. And that's yeah. the problem. That's the problem. And wardens know, know the laws. They know them better than we do, or they should. Yeah. And yeah. when they know them better than us...
1: You get intimidated and...
0: Well, when they know them better than the person that's out there, and they're assuming you're doing something wrong... And then you let them know, "Hey, I'm not." And then they still assume you're doing something wrong. And you get yeah. a ticket for it. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that irritates people. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It paints a picture that's not right. Yeah, you know, and it's
3: almost like they are men. They're required by their supervisors to write X number of tickets a month or whatever. a day. Yes, yeah. so,
0: yeah. well, whatever is- it is, it's not easy for an. And then. It's not easy for an individual to go, you know what? I'm going to fight this yeah, and exactly. go to court and stand in front of a, a, a judge that you don't know who or what he or she is, yep. where they stand and what they're going to do to you. Because when you plead not guilty to it, now, you're, now you're, your penalty is maximum. Whereas if you plead out, you get a minimum, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at a ticket, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks and you you go and plead not guilty to it because this guy or gal Wants to assert their authority, whatever. It's it, it, you see
3: what I'm saying? Oh, of course, it's wrong, oh, and it's not only the thousand dollars; it's the day away from work.
0: Oh, yeah yeah. And then it, when the warden doesn't show up, then what? That, I mean, come on, that was a waste of resources. Yeah, it's a waste of taxpayer resources. I don't care how much it cost, right? It's a waste. It's a waste of that judge's time. It's a waste of my time. So waste of the state of California's time.
3: Absolutely, you're absolutely it goes full circle. Yeah,
2: Wayne, I got a question for you. Yes, someone. Um, this podcast kind of caters to a lot, a lot of new hunters. I'm a new hunter. Someone just getting into <laughs> archery. Someone, you know, just getting into hunting. Uh huh. Got any advice for someone just getting into the, the community? Boy,
3: there's a lot of answers for that. Yeah, I know. There's <laughs> that's a couple different things, but I guess
2: hunting. You know, like.
3: Whatever, whatever method of hunting you want to go into, whether it's archery, handgun, rifle, shotgun, the best thing you can do is be mentored by somebody who is experienced. If you can get somebody that is very knowledgeable um, in spot and stock tree hunting um pass shooting for shotguns with shotguns jump hunting birds whatever it is if you can if you can find a mentor that will work with you and guide you and take you that's 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 huge yeah you can do it on your own um and a lot of people have, and they've been become very successful because they had to learn everything as they they went. There were no shortcuts. If you're a bow hunter and you're hunting deer, you may not get a deer for 10 years if you start off on yourself, you know, by yourself. Because you've got to make all this, the stupid mistakes, and then you've got to make the, the oh, crap, the wind changed on me mistake. Or, or crap, I shouldn't have scratched my nose right then. Or if you're coyote hunting, you can't be turning your head or breaking branches after you've, after your electronic call or your mouth call has already been played. Mm -hmm. Um, To get, to get where you are a proficient hunter, it takes time. Um, Rifle hunting is so much easier um, because you don't have to get so close. Um, But you still have to know how to, how to stock, how to spot, you know. You have to learn how to glass and glass proficiently. Um, you know how to. You have to learn how to work the winds. You have to. There's a lot. It's lot a lot to, to learn. There's so
2: much to it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, a ton.
3: But if you don't have a mentor um, to help you, then I mean, you can do it on your own. Absolutely. Um, we all started out. I mean, I started out with my dad. He wasn't a bow hunter. Um, bow hunting. After I got my my um, compound bow, I became a proficient bow hunter because I stuck to it, and I learned. I learned a lot about what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. By just like this podcast talking to people Yep. you know if you can talk to people and you can pick their pick their brain about certain things even watching hunting programs on television sometimes you can learn some stuff there a lot of times it's it's a BS in there too right because they will shoot an animal or something you know and then then they reenact everything yeah so
2: it's after the fact yeah you, you see that a lot yeah,
3: yeah. so but there's a lot of people even in those shows that they do have good information. Uh, don't just discount them, but you can see you can see a lot of things that, that they do right and a lot of things they do wrong. Um, and then once you, you determine what method of take you're going to utilize, then you spend hour, then you spend hours and hours with that weapon.
2: You immerse yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: when when I first started shooting a bow, as I said, it was that Howitt Hunter recurve, Damon How Howitt Hunter. Um, I shot like Fred Bear shot, totally instinctively. I didn't. I didn't aim down the arrow. I didn't gap shoot. Those are terms. A gap shoot is you're aiming down the arrow and where your point is. You know how high to put that on your target to, at a distance uh-huh, in right. order to hit right hit your target yeah. uh i I had none of that. it was draw the bow i drew my I, my bow was canted at a forty five degree angle I drew and i released mm-hmm. and that's how i hunted how i bow hunted for carp on the Rio Grande River, and I became very very proficient in it yeah. One of the best shots I ever, ever made in my entire life, my friend Dennis Malmberg and I were on the Rio Grande River and we were hunting carp and we were at this, this slow area and there weren't any carp that we were sh- shooting at. And it was a dragonfly flying a, on a sandbar. And he was about 30 yards from me. And I said, Dennis, watch this. And I, <laughs> I drew my bow. And released my arrow and cut his head off.
2: Oh man! Wow.
3: <laughs> now. What is that like a hundred and twenty-yard <laughs> shot with a compound? <laughs> Hitting a, Yeah, that was that was quite an amazing shot that I did, and. Uh, man. I sure will never repeat it. <laughs> 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 never be go. done again as long as I live. Yeah. But when it, it felt no. good, though. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We were both just a astonished (laughs) yeah that's cool man but um, thanks man that's yes uh recurve shooting a recurve is is a lifelong endeavor some people can pick it up and do it shoot it and and learn to shoot it and shoot it so proficiently in in a couple of years but most of the time if you don't shoot it if you haven't shot it for 10 years you're going to be an average average shooter you've got to shoot it for a long time and that's where compounds have really made
0: close the gap yes mm-hmm.
3: so hunt uh, compound shooters are so much more proficient
0: that well they're consistent yeah the, the compound bow the,
3: the bow itself is absolutely right. consistent right there's like it, it,
0: there's no variance unless it, it, i mean obviously variance happens over time after shots and shots and shots the bow detunes but when a, when a bow is tuned and it's, yeah. and it's finely tuned, it uh, is very, very consistent. Yeah. And that's where you get these longer shots out of yeah. these bows. Yeah. That's why you can do it.
3: And if you, you practice with them, and here again, you can buy a compound bow and you can start shooting it. And there again, you're going to have all those errors that you have to work through. Correct. Your form, mm-hmm. your stance your anchor point, mm-hmm. your lack of anchor point, what you do with the bowstring or the release upon release. Yeah. Um, you got to work through all that stuff. So if you have somebody mentor you there or you get a coach, um, you, can, you can make somebody who's never shot a bow. I can coach a person who's never picked up a bow before and in a week at 30 yards, I can have them hit, hit the spot almost every time
0: yeah you know what's crazy is uh by no means am i a mentor at all but i've always been open me and my my buddy john um we both have always been super open he lives up here too of taking in new hunters or just archery shooters and taking them shoot with us i mean between him and i i think there's probably 16 or 17 3d targets that are floating around right i mean majority of them are at his house but um we take them out and we used to hold shoots up here locally just impromptu get on some land and go for it, you know, at our at our buddy's house. But that's how I met both of these guys. I met Brian this way. I literally was like, dude, just grab your bow and come on, let's go. Let's go. And then we just started shooting after work, you know, shot a handful of times. Ryan's the same way. Same thing. Yeah. It's like there's a there's a common bond that's there. Right. When when you're an archer. You know? Absolutely. And it's it's not an easy it's not, first of all, it's not easy finding like-minded people that want to do this stuff, let alone individuals that want to hunt. So when they do come around, it's like, yeah, you got to give them a, you got to give them a chance. Right. And, and I've been blessed that, you know, I have family back East that have always been like open armed, teach me what they know. And then on top of that, I've had some really cool, amazing friends that basically mentored me into archery. Right. And, uh, got me involved and and got me proficient and fell in love with it and next thing you know it just kind of it's my turn right right so that's where this podcast comes into play yeah you know i know we're just sitting around talking having fun enjoying our conversation and 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 camaraderie right in time but this conversation this two hours and 31 minutes that we just recorded oh yeah a long time but this conversation i hope and should go on to help others, A, find success, B, be more involved, and C, just see what else is out there. Like, it's not, it's on the spectrum. It's all over the place. Like, it's not all peaches and cream in California. I mean, this is information that needs to be known by every outdoors man and woman, right? I mean, right. This, this is information that needs to get out there. And I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. The Bill Gaines episode that we had is the least rated episode we've ever had. Like, it's, it's, it's not a highly viewed episode. Very disconcerting.
1: One of the most inf- informative episodes you have, too. Yeah.
0: I mean, Definitely. it's like on, on lines with this episode. This episode is going to be an amazing episode for individuals to, to listen and go, what was it like? And where are we now? Like, we covered a broad spectrum of topics and information, right? I mean, we went all over the place with it but I'm hoping that the listeners out of this podcast will get a grasp of like what's really in front of us and, and quit looking at today and maybe look for tomorrow. You know what I mean?
3: Absolutely. And
0: without individuals like yourself that are able to pass this information on, right? I really feel like we're going to lose a lot, like a lot
3: yeah, we are. And the only way we're going to stymie that loss is by new people coming into the hunting community. Correct. And getting involved.
0: It's involvement.
3: The involvement is, is paramount.
0: Right. See, I wish, I wish. I mean, me and you have contact, we've been in contact for a little while, right? We've texted each other a handful of times. I met you via text through Jim, one of our mutual friends. Right. So I've, we've known of each other for a while. Um, I wish you lived closer because I feel like you're a friend. You know,
3: uh, I, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's a friendship we have already.
0: Yeah, and and yeah. I wish you lived closer because your involvement would have dramatically, like, say, if you lived here, your involvement would have dramatically changed how involved I am. Just because you're so involved and I'm so interested in it, and it goes back to hunting. You need a mentor. I need a mentor to get involved, not, not necessarily to get involved, but, uh, how do I say this to like learn firsthand? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. have to go through so many meetings and so many conversations and, and so in front of so many boards to get the knowledge that you have that you just tell me that I just sat and listened to between this podcast and the conversation we had a couple of days ago. Like there's so much knowledge and that knowledge needs to be shared. It's important. It is important. And it's like, we don't, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the good ones are moving away, man. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's how I feel.
3: All you guys are moving away. And, and in fact, I did. But like I told you last few days ago, my family is California Bowman Hunters and State Archery Association. And my wife will tell you that emphatically it is. And that was a problem because I took phone calls and did emails all at dinner time yeah you know all times of the day and, and evening it didn't make any difference i i was that involved in it and it it impacted our relationship yeah um so even though i live in in Arizona now um and i moved there only because of the politics in this state Mm-hmm. I, I got tired of it. I got tired of paying $4 a gallon yeah. for gasoline when I can go over to Arizona and pay less than $2.
0: I know. It's beautiful.
3: Gosh. Yeah. And, uh, um, but my heart is still here. It's like when, when I, the night that of our last banquet, when I was president, um, I was at the microphone and I told him that it was a double edged sword because I wanted to give up the presidency to somebody who could handle it, but I also didn't want to give up the involvement. And stepping down from the presidency, I knew I was going to lose that involvement, and I have. But I've still been involved in a lot of the legislative issues. Uh, Bill Gaines sends me, uh, every time he sends a... Uh, an email or a text to the current president and to Robert Moore, who is an 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 amazing individual in the California Bowman Hunters. He's the legislative coordinator for CBH. Um, he's very, very knowledgeable. He He's on the same level as Bill, Bill Gaines, and he's not a legislator. He's a, an auto mechanic. That's awesome. He lives in Sacramento, outside of Sacramento. Um, he, anytime Bill sends me anything or sends Robert or sends anything to the president or Robert, he sends it to me, even though I'm really not one of the legislator leaders right now because I'm outside the state. Right. But my involvement and my heart is still there. Um, until the day I die. Right. You can tell, so, yeah. You can definitely
2: tell. You can definitely tell. That's an awesome thing.
3: So, um, I come from from Arizona to San Diego and to Los Angeles for Fish and Game Commission meetings when they have them down here. Yeah, if I'm if I'm available, I will stand in for Robert because Robert can't cover the entire state. Right. So I'm there with Bill Gaines, and that's something that. With, with the legislators um, when, when there's an issue coming before the, fish, uh, before the Fish and Game Commission, one of the things that I have seen over the many years, over the 40 years I've been involved in this, is that the archers are one of the very few that are at every one of the Fish and Game Commission meetings. California Bowman Hunters is always there With after we got Bill Gaines um, hired as our lobbyist. um, We are always there. We're always present. We always have a voice. We always get up and speak.
0: Right. Well, there's representation and there's organization involved with the club.
3: Right. And very few times do I see gun hunters there. And that's what's interesting because the gun hunters are the one that dictates... The tags and the seasons to fish and game. A lot of the gun hunters going out of state. Yeah,
0: they're going out of state. So they probably look at this as like, hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> Moscows type thing. Whereas, you know, not to say that they're not involved. Or I'm just speaking openly.
3: Well, they're they're basically not involved, but they still because they're so big numbers and they buy so many tags that Department of Fish and Wildlife still caters to them. Right. For example, we we had an elk tag issue or an elk population issue and Fish and Wildlife decided they would reduce the number of elk tags um, in the Owens Valley. Right. And they, we had one bull tag and two cow tags. And the rifle hunters had 16 tags and in other parts of the state they had a bunch of tags so fish and wildlife said well we're going to we're recommending to the fish and game commission to take um 10 of the tags from the rifle hunters and we're going to take the bull and cow tag from the archers
0: makes no sense
3: and i and i stood got up to the mic and I said, I don't know what kind of math you're using. But if you're taking 10% of the rifle hunters who have a higher uh, take experience than what archers do, I don't understand how you can take 66% of our tags and only 10% of their tags, right? You could have left us with with all three tags, and you would still have gotten the same outcome. But now you've, you've taken the chance of an individual to have an opportunity at an elk away from them. Right. It, it,
0: I, the management aspect of it is crazy to me. Yeah. Like you would think that. Mind-boggling. Yeah. Anyway. But listen, we appreciate it very much that you've been on this podcast with us. And uh, to be honest with you, I hope to this January or February, I hope to get you and Ed on at the same time. And okay. record another podcast uh, I think it would be an amazing podcast We could dive into all the stuff we missed out on On this one You know, we're probably going to field some questions From the listeners And try to get them answered I mean, uh, th- these podcasts are are my favorite I think uh, they're the most informational And, and that they're, they're the most productive for us and our community here Right? Um, it's it's. I appreciate it That's all I can say You know You guys got anything else for them?
3: I just appreciate the time. Yeah, Wayne. Thanks, Wayne. Absolutely. Yeah, I do want to well. add one thing. Let's hear it on the on the three R program. The lady that's involved in that is Jen Cordero. Her her name is no longer Cordero. She was the lady bow hunter of of uh, of um, Oceanside. Oceanside. She was taking young kids bow hunting, having them shoot animals.
2: Her name now is uh, Jen Benedet.
3: Yep, that's it. That's her. Uh, yep, her, that's her. her name ma- or name. That's her married name. Yeah. Yes, sir. She's awesome. She used to um, take kids hunting, take them to a ranch, shoot goats or whatever, have them gut them, process the meat. I mean, the whole thing. And she was just a young, young lady. She got life threats. <laughs> she got so much hate mail, email. I mean, it was incredible that, what she had to put up with. And she's still involved. It didn't it didn't stop her. Yeah.
0: Well she hopefully she's still going lady. after it. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Hopefully she's still getting after it up north. Yep. You know? Well yeah. listen, we're gonna run out of room on this sim card. We got a good one going.
3: Okay. Yeah. Listen,
0: Wayne. We appreciate it, man. Um you know, words can't describe how thankful we are, man.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's oh, that's the wrong one.
0: Here we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another one. Thanks, Wayne. You're welcome. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks.
2: thanks.